0: The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week, Sophie and Kira are joined by author and activist Jamie Peck to discuss the current state of resistance to Atlanta's Cop City project and where it's going in coming months. Plus, climate actions in New York and Boston, Brazil enshrines the rights of its indigenous people, and NFTs are dead, dead, dead. But first, boobs. I had a friend who, uh, came out, uh, or, like, started Estrogen at a similar time to me, and, like, after the, um, the pandemic lockdowns ended, there were about six months, she would not say, like, hey, Sophie, how are you doing, Sophie? What have you been up to, Sophie? Catch me up, Sophie, what's going on in your life? She would walk right up to me and she would go, how'd you get those big titties? Like, every single time. And I would just, like, I would tell her the thing i tell everyone always, which is just, like... Tits are mostly fat. You need to put more fat in your diet if you want bigger tits. Um, I'm currently doing a thing, by the way. We could talk about it in a second. But like, um, uh, this is all preface to me saying, Kira, how, what's <laughs> it's the it's the girls' night show. So we we get to have girls' night topic discussions. Yeah, and we're leading in with an example of that by um, you explaining why your titties are so big.
1: Oh, these. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um, I, this is a sad day for our podcast listeners because they're missing on a, on, on some. Fully agree. Some some, it, some jugs. Um. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I'm in my big tit arc at the moment. Thanks for asking, Soph. Um, what does that mean? Well, that means these mere humble little B cups are now being yanked up with like a super push up bra, where the straps I I close them as tight as I could, so they're hanging on by a thread. And then I also got these silicone inserts that I shove in there as well. And then I nice. just push everything up. And then I use a little bit of makeup to accentuate ah, the jugs cute. and put a little highlighter. And this I is. I think I did the...
0: something similar yeah. to this for my Lady Dimitrescu costume for the Resident Evil thing.
1: Let me tell well, you. Good job.
0: We Thanks. can make it's... them e-cups. We have the technology.
1: We <laughs> do. It's not the most comfortable thing in the world. And I think if you gave me mm. a hug, it would kind of be a giveaway. So just don't, just stand back and just observe. <laughs> And don't ask me to, like, you know, like, I don't know, do anything too physical, because this is kind of, like, it's very fragile architecture. But thank you. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, this is my big my big tit arc.
0: (laughs) Well, I noticed, and then I was going to ask, and then we were discussing how to open the show, and dear listeners, uh, Kira was like, you should ask me about my big titties. (laughs) 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 No, but, like, I'm actually... Because I got onto injectable progesterone, I actually like uh, deliberately fat cycling at the moment. So mm. I'm like, I have a high fat diet at the moment, which like, oh no, poor me involves a lot of like cake and chocolate and cheese and treats. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, I mean, it would be a lot harder if I was vegan because I have to think a lot more about like what had fat content in it. But like, um, and then I'm trying to do like calories in calories out pretty balanced so that, you know. The theory as described to me by another doll, and it does seem to be working, is like when the fat gets burned, at least some of it is burning off of the, place, the places that you don't want them to be in. And when the fat is deposited, if you've got the right good hormones going, all the all the good girl juice is going on, um, then it'll be deposited in the places that you mm-hmm. do want. And it mm-hmm. seems to be working, honestly, because it's been a few weeks, but already I think... Um, i don't know i've had some i've had some yeah. some other people independently noticing too
1: well this is one of the things that um i as a i'm a cis girl um mm-hmm. but i'm on spiro spironolactone mm-hmm. which is an androgen blocker that a lot yeah. of trans girls are on uh, as yeah. part of their hrt and uh one of the reasons i'm on well the reason i'm on it is because i'm diagnosed with pcos which is polycystic yeah. ovarian syndrome and one mm-hmm. of the symptoms of it is your fat just, God, deposited? Babe, it is just
0: so the girls night episode like yeah, if the this sorry, is so if you can't, relentlessly for we're the just girls? Talking hormones
1: and tits and, and and ass fat and stuff <laughs> um so if so with pcos when you it's a access of androgens and that means that my fat is deposited not on titties and hips but on my yeah. stomach yeah. and so i have the what they describe as an apple shape versus a pear shape which is the more right. like you know traditional right. femme deposit of fat so yeah, I'm hoping that my my it's, it's hard to always tell like what these things are actually doing. But I've been on it for for like, 15 years or something. So who knows what I'd be like without it. But I do know that beginning of my life, I was I had small tits, no hips, and just mm. like a lot of excess belly fat. And it was really frustrating to me. So I mean, what you're saying doesn't ring entirely untrue with my experiences, you know? Anyways, welcome, welcome to Red Planet, to Red Planet everyone. Planet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a girls' night, if you haven't Woo! noticed. It's just me and Soap, and then we're gonna have our, our friend Jamie on, Jamie Peck, on later, um, yep. to talk I'm to us about. I'm trying
0: really hard not to fangirl too hard, but she's kind of a hero of mine.
1: She's like super chill. She's good. She you'll you you 2 will get along just fine. It'll be great. Which is probably going to make you feel more nervous because now she's like a super chill person, even looking up to. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, we're going to have Jamie on it in about uh, less than an hour. We're going to talk to her about all the work that she's been doing. But let's start with the news, shall we? Okay, yeah,
0: sure thing. Oh no, that's not how we start the show. Oh no, we're not. I just doing re- that. remembered independently of any producer <laughs> notes that uh, that's not listen, how we start the show. Listen. We actually start with Kira, I'm going to ask you a question.
1: Okay, What's but most...
0: yeah, no, what? well go on
1: i was gonna say i apologize to everyone to all my fans my my jugs are so big today i just can't possibly understand how to run a show so please be patient we
0: figured out we figured out like the alternative for like mule cura day like if it's just (laughs) you and me like it's just it's bimbo planet like we just don't know anything
1: yeah Um, it's inflatable bimbo planet it's very
0: strange to think that mule being present would make me remember more things but apparently that's the effect. Um, what was the most based thing you did this week?
1: What was the most base thing I did? Honestly, mm-hmm. i have having a hard time thinking of the most based thing I've done this week. Oh, this isn't based, but it's something that I've been kind of shying away from that I'm starting to finally do. So it's me mm-hmm. in, in, in endeavoring into the unknown. I am finally installing an SSD into my desktop computer. For the longest nice. time... I bought a custom build from this manufacturer, which I do not recommend, but like, so I'm not going to call them out. I'm not going to give them any promotion, but um, I, I've had it for ages. It was my very first gaming PC. I haven't updated it with the exception of installing uh, a ca- uh, capture card in there, which was, by the way, really intimidating for me, but it hasn't been upgraded since like 2018. And now that I've downloaded and been playing a lot of Baldur's Gate 3 on my stream, which has been really fun. It's my, my PC is chugging. And so finally I decided with the help of my community that I should install an SSD. So I got this two terabyte, uh, SSD that's supposed to be compatible with my motherboard with these are all things that I didn't know what a motherboard was. I finally found it yesterday. And so with the help of my community. So, um, it's been kind of a, a series of little blunders where I need to buy this thing and I get it. Oh, I need to get this thing. Oh, they sent me the wrong one, blah, blah, blah. But today I should be getting the last screw that I need. And so I'll finally be able to install an SSD into my computer. And so it's not an ex- exactly like the most base thing, but for me, it's been a whole like it's been a an area where I felt really like unable to help myself in. And now this just helps me to feel a little bit more confident that i can actually do something with my computer and actually upgrade it and that might lead to more things i can actually change so it's kind of cool
0: i don't know i I mean honestly what you're describing is that you're 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 demonstrating your independence in a usually male dominated field of like understanding computer Mm -hmm. and so you're independent from the patriarchy and it's a big win for feminism that's why it's based
1: honestly i was thinking because my roommate in seattle um, he's like very, he's very big on computers. And the whole time when I was like doing this, I was like, if he was just here, he would take care of all of this, but you know what? He's not. And so that's right. I am an independent woman that is going into my PC and upgrading <laughs> my system, my rig, you know, <laughs> as they call it. And so, yeah, you, know, you were correct, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you, Sophie. Anyway, Sophie.
0: I definitely it's Sophie. felt like, uh, I definitely felt like really, uh, accomplished strong independent woman when i like first um uh like upgraded my own pc stuff i Mm -hmm. I actually hadn't done it ever before and like we had just bought something very like out of the box to do all of my like influencer work and all my video Mm -hmm. editing all of it for a really long time and then we upgraded everything and i was like hell yeah
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i used davinci to try to edit videos and yesterday i was trying to edit something for my socials and Mm. my computer just literally was like you have no more you cannot continue. It just gave me some warning. And I was like, Ugh. yeah, this is one of the, I'm like, I, this would actually have a, a an actual, like measurable, improvable, like, it, you know, like my life would actually be improved. My work would actually be improved. I wouldn't have to yeah. sit there and just wait. I mean, I don't know how many things this SSC is going to fix in my life, but I would imagine it's going to fix some of them. And you know what? Maybe I can fix more things in the future now that I get a little bit more acquainted with things. So, Yeah. Yeah. anyways sophie my friend sophie yes. what was the most basic yes, <laughs> uh so i'm gonna
0: i'm gonna have like i th- I think we have like a red planet version of the fifth amendment where we we have like the uh the the right to not discuss something based you've been doing in case it incriminates you but um or any other reason that you don't want to discuss the most base thing you've been doing um which which is honest is sincerely officer the truth uh the reason that i you know like, there's other reasons um but like the most basic thing I did this week I, I will I will limit to saying like I... uh is involved with like some community safety community justice kind of um processes, and that's all I'm gonna say because like I'm not airing everyone's dirty laundry um But it's been kind of a weird busy week. I've had a lot of social engagements. A lot of them have been quite nice. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of taking it slow right now because I... Okay, so I'm making like a fourth tangent in a row. Um, Let's go. um, I think of writing, which is my job, a little bit like a horse, and how like you know people say that the way we first tamed horses like we you would like spook a horse and it would run really far and then you'd walk to where it was and you'd spook it again and it would run really far and then you'd keep on doing this until it was tired and it like was just decided like eh i give up like you know like fine ride me um i kind of think of a i kind of think of writing a lot like this because it's very easy to like Run really far, really fast. If your fe- if you are kind of are spooked, but you manage to hold on, right? And then this is how you get like really weird flukes with writing. And you have to you have to build a relationship to your writing. You know, you have to build a relationship to the part of you that does the writing because it's like this easily spooked horse. And at the moment. So to return to what I'm doing at the moment, uh, at the moment, my horse is grazing. Like I'm doing a lot of like, I'm watching the movies that are to do with the thing I'm writing about. I'm having the conversations, but I'm not trying too hard to force the writing to happen. Um, And there's also some stuff I'm kind of sad about. and I'm trying to have nice social engagements to to deal with that. That's kind of where I'm at, right? So it was a really weirdly busy week. Not loads of work, not loads of based stuff, but I managed to fit in exercising. And as I was saying before, that's important to me because I'm doing the fat Mm -hmm. cycling stuff. Um, I'm really realizing like it being, it being just you and me, like how different I'll be talking.
1: <laughs> yeah. We're just having a conversation now. No, we're just talking.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. Okay. Um, but That's my fine, most thing is is exercise. I think. That's um, fine. The,
1: the the boys aren't here so we can fill in twice the amount of time with our base things.
0: We're just gonna, we're just gonna have no format or structure whatsoever. Yeah. Um, anyway. We would also like to know what BASE things you've been doing. So please message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send an email to based at com. Include your name and pronouns if you like, and we may shout it out in a later episode. Um, and now, now we have some news. Now we can yes. correctly say it is the, t- the, n- the time for news. And I'm going to start with the UAW strike. Uh, the UAW strike has expanded. Uh, auto workers in America, uh, have expanded their strike to 38 locations in 20 states. The new walkouts will affect 5,600 workers on top of the yearly, sorry, on top of the nearly 13,000 who began strikes last week at, th- at three Ford, GM, and Stellantis assembly plants. United Auto Workers Union expanded its strike against major car makers Friday, walking uh, out of an, all, all 38 parts distribution centers operated by G, uh, GM General Motors and Jeep and Ram uh, Ram owner Stellantis in 20 states. Instead of targeting more production plants Friday, the UAW went after centers that distribute parts to car dealer service departments. That's really interesting because when you see union action spreading, not just across the you can think of it like horizontal, but like people who do the same work, recognizing they can strike too, but spreading, as it were, vertically, like along the supply chain. That's really encouraging. Uh, also, like yeah, the the, the parts themselves are uh, like that part of that part of the business is very profitable, so that those workers striking is um, good. Uh, why has Ford been spared from escalations? Ford has met some of the union's demands during negotiations over the past week. Bain, I guess, is a, a union rep of some kind, uh, said GM and Stellantis successive, to, uh, to Fiat Chrysler have rejected the union's proposals for cost of living increases, profit sharing and job security and are, quote, going to need some serious pushing. GM is shitting and pissing, saying today's strike escalation by the UAW's top leadership is unnecessary. The UAW leadership is manipulating the bargaining process for their own personal agendas. Uh, chat, uh, listeners, what we can see here is, is like, especially in like discussion of cost of living, right? It's like, okay, firstly, a normal thing for that to be a crisis over, a normal thing for to exist at all, a cost of living, fuck that. Um, but like, I was saying, I've been saying this a lot with some friends, actually. You know what? I'm, I'm going, I'm going back on this over again, actually. Like I've had some base conversations with some cool people this week. And I, and I, and I think that's the base thing to do. Um, anyway, uh, I was chatting to some friends earlier in the week about like the, Calling it the cost of living crisis, it's just like it's implying that it's this little thing that's gonna pass. Like I think they're they're mm-hmm. hoping that we'll buy that it's to do with the Ukraine war or something. That it's like you know, oh right, because the oil because of the Russia and the and it'll get better again when it's and it's just like it's not, it's not gonna fucking get better. Like it's it's the climate is the issue and like it's just collapsing. Like this is the 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 final and hugely drawn out like last crisis of capitalism
1: that's actually a really good observation it's kind of similar to when uh, people will say like there's like an an issue with inflation or inflation is rising or whatever it's like all of these like yeah it's capitalism and it's also deliberate and it's a decision it's not like the weather that oh we're being inflicted with this thing it's the cost of living is is it's like a climate crisis cost of living crisis all of these like crises that are just happening but they're not actually totally one there's not totally one
0: ideology to it all um but this is the like what we're seeing with these strikes and like people who are striking for cost of living increases in their wages like we're, we're just seeing the the kind of natural system here like workers will organize and strike in response to conditions getting worse and that is just a normal like that's just you know there's that Kwame Tour clip where like he's saying that if uh If someone did the same physics experiments as newton but in the sahara desert then they would find the same results because they're the laws of physics and then he says like in the same way like if someone did the same experiments with labor and capital as karl marx they would find that the same thing always happens labor and capital will struggle until until labor organizes and dominates capital and that's always the way that it will go like a law of physics and like it's just the, it's just, this is the push we're going to keep on seeing. Like it's, um it's natural. It's like a law of physics. Seeing this play out is like the conditions are worsening. The contradictions are sharpening. And now labor is organizing massively. And not just, as I say, not just like horizontally, but vertically as well. And, uh, you know, the inflation is an interesting one to bring in, right? Because like the solution to inflation could very easily just be to tax higher earners more because it would move the economy, it would move the money around more and like moving money around in in an inflated economy solves inflation basically. But like, instead they try to like take it off of the working class and like do austerity policies, but this actively slows down the velocity of money, which worsens the inflation. And so it's like, we go through this like cost of living crisis and you, you know that the ultra wealthy are only getting wealthier. And like, I don't know. So then, so then, the only reaction is organizing, and it's just, it's, it's good to see. I guess
1: it's kind Um, of funny, honestly, in a really grim way. That what you're, I mean, what you're saying isn't a solution to capitalism. Just to be clear, I know you're not saying that, but I just want to make it clear: we're not saying that this is like a like taxing the rich is the solution to capitalism, but it would absolutely help to prevent a lot of the like very like much more aggressive pushback that we're seeing from the working class um in the interim but it's like one of those funny funny little ironies that like because capitalism has created this 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 like breed of like ultra greedy like self like like the the ultra rich feel completely and utterly justified and are like a comp- to keep going upward faster and anything short of that is like violence to them like it's an infringement upon their their their, their the, what the natural order right so it's a kind of interesting like irony that the system that benefits them is also the system that is preventing them from maintaining their wealth because this is going to collapse on their heads like what we're seeing is the working class is like they they refuse like you're saying the austerity measures they're taking they're refusing to just give up little bit to the working class to to keep this is what drives me
0: insane about economics you know the last few months i've been trying to understand economics better and you look at shit in like the economist right they don't they like all their articles they don't have authors names on because like it all comes from the economist because they want you to think that like this is like hard science right as opposed to those like soft nebulous soft sciences the social sciences that women do or whatever and it's (laughs) like you know economics (laughs) is with numbers so it's masculine and real and it's just like fucking it's a joke like they're fucking the people who most believe in economics the capitalist science uh, they're, they're not practicing it like they're not practicing good economics based on anything that like these laws and these like these like scientific understandings would dictate you would have to do to solve Uh. these problems because they're just doing the things to protect the ruling class over and over again it's like Marxist economics is the only like way you can explain any of these fucking behaviors it drives me insane
1: Mm -hmm. i remember seeing this video this is so long ago i won't be able to remember it but it was it was by like some some econ channel you know like basically akin to what you're saying like we are a textbook well, no- this is facts, and it was it was describing inflation and like talking about how you just have these waves the this this type of cycle and this is just what happens with 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 the economy <laughs> not even saying capitalism just the economy Ugh. and the way you fix it with, is with austerity and they're just i just remember this is like way before when i was trying to get into politics and i was like what the hell is this? And someone in the chat was just telling me like, this is a pretty biased perspective. And thank God that they steer me in that direction because yeah. like there's so much propaganda out there that completely brands itself as factual that it's like, it's really disgusting.
0: Yeah. Anyways. Yep. Yep. Anyways. Why don't you tell me about Brazil?
1: I will. I will. Thank you, Sophie. Um, on Thursday, the Brazilian Supreme Court voted to enshrine the land rights of indigenous people into law to the excitement and celebration of many across the nation. It's they're very it's it's very exciting by the way. Uh this is Lula's government uh for the record. Uh here's a quote from uh Jessica I'm not going to say this name correctly but uh Jessica the gay mom prepra uh they say I'm shaking. It took a while but we did it. It's a very beautiful and strong feeling. Our ancestors are present no doubt about it. And uh Jessica is from the so clang lack lano indigenous group um although there was dissent by the two judges on the supreme court and saw by far right former president bolsonaro friend of the Big show Boris bolsonaro
0: number one covid enjoyer, bolsonaro
1: didn't he didn't he get covid again recently i <laughs> just sworn. loves it
0: he just <laughs> loves getting covid
1: it's his favorite thing is to get covid he's just um, a little
0: birthday boy and all he wants is covid
1: <laughs> and then what is that the thing with like the poop Like, he was breathing in his own poop at a certain point. I don't know.
0: He's just like, this is your other (laughs) idea for the cold open, right? The the Biden thing. And it's just like, it's just like Biden forgetting to shake Lula's hand and just walking off as Lula's like, Mr. President, can you hear me? Like, (laughs) I keep on thinking, what was the term, the term my friend and I had a while ago is like apoptocracy. Like, just a society that's run by the dead. Like, they're just literally corpses. They're just like, shuffling around, fucking... King Charles with his horrible sausage fingers.
1: Anyways, um, yeah, so Bolsonaro installed two, two, two demons spawn that voted against well, rights for indigenous people. Uh, but the <laughs> other nine judges voted in favor for more legal protections for indigenous land rights. Um, here's a quote from one of the justices, Louise Fuchs. Um, areas occupied by indigenous people and areas that are linked to the ancestry and tradition of indigenous peoples have constitutional protection, even if they are not demarcated. Uh, and, and this justice, Louise Fuchs, uh, cast a vote to uh, establish the majority. So they're one of the nine voters that voted in favor. Um, if anyone doesn't know Bolsonaro, who was just president of Brazil prior to Lula, was horrific for indigenous rights. Constantly trampling all over them, burning up their lands, um selling it to fossil fuel companies, et cetera, et cetera. Um so this is a really, really exciting uh change uh of government.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 one of the places where we're seeing policy turn around fantastically in um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Brazil right now.
1: right of yeah, the show Lula. Big win,
0: big win for Lula, but um sadly Biden still doesn't know who he is. Doesn't know who Biden's such a mean girl.
1: He's an accidental mean girl. He didn't even realize.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, Sophie, do you want to tell me what's going on in uh, Boston?
0: I sure do. I'm quite excited about it. Uh, climate activists from Extinction Rebellion briefly disrupted the morning commute in Boston this Thursday to put pressure on the state's governor to ban fossil fuel infrastructure. I'm, you know, I don't think there have been as many of the the kind of like traffic stopping protests uh in the states so far and i'm excited to see because you guys have such a huge like car culture by comparison to us and our like suv driving like gas guzzler class have been like such fucking assholes about this constantly what was the like There were... There was literally a, a metro headline that called someone who attacked some of these protesters in London like a hero, like hero attacks, like loony lefties or whatever stuff like this. And it's just like, that is how unbiased like the British reporting can be and just openly and just be like, you're a hero if you attack these left wing protesters um but uh, yeah i mean it's gonna be crazy in america
1: you're, you're totally right about america by the way like whenever uh we do have like a massive car culture here like our public transportation um isn't great <laughs> and also we have a really big country so like a lot of times people have to drive pretty long distances given like like across states and stuff like that so um it's it, we have a huge car culture here but we also have like this very entitled Like, it's the entitlement that we feel as, like, consumers and people that want to get, just go from A to B and not have to pay attention to reality. Like, the number of times I've heard people complain about, like, during the uh, George Floyd uh, uprisings, how many times people would complain in America about, like, how they agree with everything that they're saying, but you have to at least let people go where they need to go.
0: You're being too charitable already. You're saying, like, you're saying, like, go where they need to go. And people will literally say, like... They will have to let people go to work. And it's like, why? When it's the climate protest as well, like, it's like, no, 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 business as usual is literally what's killing the planet. Like, if you agree with what is being said, then you understand that going to work is the fucking problem.
1: Right. And also, you know, you, when you really can't go to work is when like the earth is boiling, then you really <laughs> yeah. can't go to your Best Buy job.
0: I agree with what the flood is telling us, but also <laughs> the flood should let people go to work. <laughs> it's so true. Fifty degrees C heat has a really valid point, but also, like people, <laughs> people have to be places. Like that's true. <laughs> uh, okay. Although Massachusetts Governor Mara Healey has cited climate change as one of her top priorities and has taken green steps, like signing an executive order making Massachusetts the first state to ban the purchase of single-use plastic bottles yep that's right consumerism that's the issue here uh by state agencies xr is demanding she ban a new fossil fuel infrastructure altogether yes good demand thank you uh xr is demanding healy announce a policy to ban any fossil fuel infrastructure and commit to only appointing opponents of new fossil new infrastructure to state agencies including the energy facilities uh siting board as in uh Finding the sites, uh, and Department of Public Utilities. They also want Healy to work with, with the legislature to develop legislation to ban fossil fuel infrastructure in the state. The 15 minute protest blocked a roadway outside the South Station Transportation Center in downtown Boston. Boston. Boston police said 20 people were arrested and charged with unlawful assembly and disorderly conduct. Uh, but you know, you know what I think about the police? They're stinky. It's very brave of me to say this, but I think the police stink.
1: Oh, my. Well, I think they're stinky st- and bad. It's already out there. It's a live show. We can't. So I guess this is the position gonna of gonna our just planet now. I'm going to keep
0: saying it. I think they're stinky <laughs> and bad. I'm going to say they're stinky <laughs> and bad. And they got bad breath. You can't stop me. I'm just, I'm. on the runaway train. Wow. There's more climate stories in the news this week. Kira, you have one to tell me.
1: That's right. Um, Climate activists have uh, protested in front of Bank of America over its funding of fossil fuel projects, which is shocking because I thought Bank of America took uh, took a stand for the environment with their with their words on their website. So I'm very shocked to see that the same (laughs) entity is actually is that right? They're funding fossil fuel projects. Wow, strange. Given that they said they are totally for the environment. So uh, at least 20 indigenous leaders and climate activists were arrested on Tuesday as actions have de- demanding an end to fossil fuels continue uh, during New York's Climate Week. Dozens of protesters swarmed the Bank of America Tower in Manhattan, and they blocked the entrances chanting, and I really like this chant. And I think this is how they're saying it. We need clean air, not another billionaire. <laughs> huh?
0: That's pretty good. Yeah, That's pretty good. That's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good.
1: The bank is yeah. one of the largest funders of oil, gas and coal acro- coal across the globe. Um it's also the leading financial backer of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. And so here's a quote from the uh from John Beard of the Port Arthur Community Action Network in Texas. Uh John says, "We refuse to be sacrificed any further on the altar of big oil, big gas, and big finance and Bank of America, we refuse to allow them to put profits over people and determine the lives and future of the of people in the in the Gulf South without them sharing any benefit from it and destroying the very planet upon which we all depend. One other protester says they're funding more fossil fuel projects is why we're doing this. I mean, it's 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 painfully obvious that like, like I'm sorry, the Earth is burning,
2: mm-hmm. the
1: climate climate change is accelerating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the very least. I'm not, this isn't, it's not a fix if you stop funding new infrastructure, right? That's not going to fix the climate.
0: Oh no, we got to stop the infrastructure that we have going right now. this
1: infrastructure that we have, exactly. That's what we need to do. However, it's like so completely on the nose sinister evil villain to then fund additional extra burning of fossil fuels. And by the way, this infrastructure, um, <clears throat> if you've ever read books like how to blow up a pipeline, which Sophie was so kind of gift me, um, what I learned from that book is that these infrastructures, these fossil fuel infrastructures that are, um, built, they have a certain timeline to them, like a certain expiration date. So all the money, all the labor, all the investment that goes into building one, it will then last for like 60 years. And so the people that invest in these, this infrastructure are like, we need to keep it running. We have to keep it running for the next 60 years or else we lose the money that we invested. Like the whole point is to not just create it, but to make sure to, in- to like mandate that it keeps running for like 60 years or 50 years or however many, many years. So like this building of this new infrastructure, it's not just like evil villain shit right now. It's like meant to keep being evil villain shit for decades. Oh
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, do you remember when they were talking about the carbon bombs? They were talking about all of these, like, fossil fuel industry uh, plans they're making that are going to, like, they're, they're calling them bombs because they're just, like, going to devastate the chances of, like, the the planet not boiling. Like, they mm. were all these plans where they've, like, located loads of new fossil fuels and they're planning within the next, like, 50 years to, like, start so, so, so much more extraction and burning. And it's just, like you're trying to kill us all you're trying you're trying to kill us it's like (laughs) it's a it's very it's a very real war um i don't know fucking i wanted to mention about the mountain view pipeline uh was in that story can you you tell me about the mountain view pipeline again
1: yeah so the uh, bank of america is the leading financial backer of the mountain valley pipeline
0: yeah yeah so the mountain valley pipeline came up in the news a few weeks ago uh, on red planet if people remember um basically uh i don't think it was extinction rebellion but it was a group called Appalachians against pipelines um had been interrupting the work sites and stopping it from being constructed um and it's in virginia or west virginia i can't remember which right now but like it's in a it's uh, it's in uh, Virginia and it's going through you know some of the most like beautiful protected uh, uh natural land in America in the entire fucking continent and um people are furious about it and trying to stop it and it it's also like interesting because if you saw the How to Blow Up a Pipeline film since we've mentioned How to Blow Up a Pipeline um they have that character Dwayne who's like you know uh, uh, well. Uh, like Americans don't tend to think in these terms, but he's a peasant farmer um he is, and um he is representative of the kind of the kind of like people that we would no- normally not think of as potential allies in the climate movement, but who are like working class people who care about their land and their family and their- ab- ability to like Keep living how they want to, and all this stuff that is against climate, like against the fossil fuel industry, and like I think his particular gripe is like it's poisoning the land, and like it's uh, they're trying to buy up the land that his family's owned for a long time. Um, and you know, it's interesting to see that kind of that uh, strain of emerging climate activists coming out. Like that's that's nice with Appalachians against pipelines. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I obviously don't know if they are all individually as people similar to Dwayne, but like. Taking the identity of Appalachians uh as the as part of your name of your movement, like is is pretty cool.
1: But self, I just have, I just have to say something just to to transition us to our, our next story. Um because oh. I just saw what it is and I just have to remark, my apes are still <laughs> gone.
0: Oh. I'm sorry. Uh yeah. I'm not gonna give them back. Um I won't do it. I won't. I I've named my price. You're gonna have to pay me. 10 billion dollars if you want your apes back
1: <laughs> but wait a minute i'm looking here and it looks like wait a minute i don't think your. i don't think the apes you stole from me which are now your apes i suppose are even worth anything anymore actually what's going what? on with our apes what's,
0: no what's going on
1: with the apes <laughs>
0: I'll tell you. I'll tell you what's going on with the apes. I added a feel-good story at the end of the news today. Um, <laughs> NFTs are dead. NFTs are fucking dead as hell. Uh, it's pretty cool. So there have been several places reporting that NFTs are dead because the the market value is like catastrophically, astronomically low. Shit's fucked. It's always worth remembering, like when we when we are saying it's like a feel-good story and having a laugh about it. Like crypto and NFTs have like ruined a lot of people's lives. They've they've chucked in their money um like their life savings or whatever it's some like you know suburban dad who thinks that like this is going to be the ticket to make their family loads of money and then they wind up way 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 worse off but then also like we we will no longer have to hit nft bro bullshit. so in that sense it is a it is a it is a dub anyway the markets crashed out several places are reporting this there was an in-depth report the site was dap gamble but i can't remember who did the the research Anyway, um, a bunch of NFT bros are trying to frame this as being a mainstream media conspiracy because they think that all negative things you could ever say about NFTs are uh, people trying to, like, harm the market and trying to like take their money away so they see bad news and they're literally like this is a conspiracy uh they're lying about us and nft they're actually growing more than ever and it's like no they're not though that's a lie
1: i just think it's fine that if uh, if if people if i were an nft bro i would certainly be like it doesn't matter what people say about us because this is this special, you know, it's like the whole crypto argument where it's like this special little, uh, like oasis away from all of the, all of the ridiculousness of like regulated markets. Like the, the people can not touch the intrinsic value of, of non-fungible tokens and, and, and how they function. Right.
0: You may not be able to see it, but the invisible hand of the marketplace is flipping you off.
1: (laughs) 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 My God my god
0: (laughs) no i completely agree like if it was you know if they were gonna be the future then you don't need to worry about whether or not they're going to be the future so you don't need to care if some journalist in the washington post like says nfts are dead like it shouldn't affect you if nfts are as powerful as you think they are Mm -hmm. looks like they're not maybe (laughs) i Uh, it's so like simultaneously insecure and also like aggressive and bullying i think that's what's always so hard about like scammer and cult behavior is that like you need to bear in mind the real harms they're doing to people and feel sorry for those people and then also unfortunately sometimes or even often those same people are being manipulated by the high pressure high control group to act like an asshole towards you and anyone else who doubts them and it's like oh uh, but you're being scammed so i don't want to i don't i don't want i don't want to but also i but i do want to because you're being a dick about it
1: yeah it's kind of it's similar to like all of these grifts that suck in pro prolet- like the proletariat um like you know like anti-vax or um honestly like even working class people that espouse that like vocally vocally espouse like right-wing libertarian views even like just right-wingers generally speaking like these are people that are fucking over themselves and their and their loved ones but they're they are caught up into the in this grift and convinced that this is actually the way forward but they are being hurt they're not winning they are just they're just losing while telling themselves and others that they're actually you know there's very good reasons for I don't even know, honestly. I couldn't even tell you.
0: This is also why it's like worth bringing things back down to action because, like, I remember this old uh, this old woman who's like she's probably someone's nan, I guess, uh, who like I met when I was at uh, an action supporting some refugees, and she just came by and she was like asking like, "What's this?" Because she could see some stuff was going on outside the hotel, and I told her, and then we got chatting about it, and like she was very quickly being like. Uh, honestly the government they're all a bunch of bastards i wish i had a rocket launcher and stuff like this and i was like cool we're gonna be friends um and then she started telling me about her trans son only she was misgendering him right but the thing is like
1: oh i remember this yeah
0: yeah like she was misgendering him but like the thing was that she had just taken care of him after his top surgery and she understood what top surgery was and she seemed like enthusiastically supporting she was just calling him her like she was just calling him her daughter and it was just like what do you think is whatever? Like, this is the thing where it's, like, truly sincere when they're, like, sweet old people and they just genuinely have a hard time adjusting to whatever. But, like, the action is there. And then she started talking about vaccines, and it was just, like, we had been so, like, eye-to-eye on everything except, like, how she was describing her kid, right? And then she, like, started talking about about the vaccines being a a plot to control everyone. And I was just like, ah! (laughs) I remember really clearly being like, ah, but I, I don't know if it is, though
1: um man. listen you're great and, and it's she like, was like totally loving
0: the but... and i'm like because nah. nah, i feel like the because i feel nah, i don't know about that <laughs> i was trying to it around through the like yeah like they want you all to go back to work so they do want you to get the vaccine and they, also they make money off of the vaccine but like the but but those things are only both true because the virus and the vaccine are both real. Those things actually wouldn't be true if the vaccine was fake.
1: <laughs> Oi. I know. That kind of reminds me of a conversation I had with the Greek Orthodox priest that I was telling you about the other week. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I hope um... he's
0: watching because we're both looking extremely cunty.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Um... <laughs> but like i was at this church and i was the only one wearing a mask and so they uh they the conversation then led to like why are you wearing a mask and i was like well because covid is still happening and blah Mm -hmm. blah blah and i was like trying to explain to them how it's it's still a thing and so we need to still take precautions and so and so forth and then and then he blurred out because something something because you know it's because it's big pharma it's big pharma i'm like okay No, not Big Pharma, actually. And it's always painful to me because Big Pharma sucks super hard. Like it does, actually. And I'm not trying to go to bat for them.
0: This is why I try and yes and them. This is exactly why I try to like do this. I'm
1: too much of a, too much of a negative hater to, I need to learn. No, but it's
0: really helpful to tell people, I agree with you, but it's this. Like if you can say like you're right, except this bit, right? But, but really try and, and make it as, as not negative as possible, I found like such good results with this. So like I hear Big Pharma and I'm always then going to the the stuff about Bill Gates, right? Because like they love talking about Bill Gates because they're conspiracy theorists, right? And I love talking about Bill Gates because I'm a communist. And so like they, you know, they say Big Pharma. I'm like, yeah, because Bill Gates made it so the vaccine patent had to be private so they could make money off it because it should have been available to everyone and we would have been able to manufacture our own vaccines with our own local authorities and then we'd have way more trust in it and they wouldn't be making all this money and everyone would be getting vaccinated. And, you know, that just spins it perfectly around. And I've had this before, like spins it perfectly around to a place where to agree with me, they need to agree getting the vaccine is good. In order to agree with why bill gates is bad and what i just said you have to agree that the the, the, the vaccine is is, is that good, is right? such
1: a superpower how many times have you used a superpower on me sophie i have to be a little more careful around you i feel like maybe i've been yes and this whole time
0: you, well huh. yeah and <laughs> people should check out uh the red planet patreon uh i that's so smooth chat chat listeners whatever you're thinking right now i agree with it and furthermore i think <laughs> it would be best served by you going to patreon.com you know what bill Red gates hates planet you know what, what you- bill gates hates? <laughs> <laughs> it's when you support communist media um, um for real um you know, Red Planet is fun, is made possible by the direct support of our viewers and our listeners, of course, through patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Uh, we are trying to push towards hiring an editor to help us produce more shareable clips and also create all new content. Um, you know, we went to the ZAD. We filmed a bunch of stuff. We're working on a on a documentary now. We will be able to do more projects like that more often in the future if we can hire an editor. Um, so please check out uh, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. That's... That's where the good stuff is. There is also much. Uh, it should be available. I don't know how we get the, it's Conrad's shop. How do we do? I don't know if I should even be promoting this right now. Um, I'm remembering in lieu of any producer notes that it's called mercenarycreative.com. And we have one design up there at the moment, which is available as a t-shirt or a tote bag. Um, yeah. So there's, 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 uh, the Patreon and there's, uh, there's much. Oh, wait. There's one more thing about the Patreon. Kira. I recently had a chat with you and Conrad.
1: Yes. We yes. are doing a, we've done a podcast episode. Um, and we'll be doing more podcast episodes. Well, Sophie and yeah. Conrad are with, a, with, a yeah. with me, with mule, with, Yep. Yeah. Maybe me and Mule again, um, and Tim, and 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 it's it's really fun. We did an episode about the Democrats, and it was about conspiracy theories about the Democrats, and it was super-duper yeah. fun, super-duper recommend, and it's yeah. only available to our patrons, so you uh-huh. can, even the lowest tier of two bucks a month, um, yeah. and we'll go into the tiers later in the show, but uh, even the lowest tier, you can be, uh, you can have access to the podcast, and I super-duper recommend you do, because it's a fun time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I think the first episode should be coming up on that soon. Um, it's called limited hangouts and it's about conspiracy theories. And then we've recorded the one with Kara. We're going to do a, one with Mule soon where we'll talk about 9 11. And I think that's going to be good as hell, uh, cause of Mule's dark past as a conspiracy theorist, which you didn't know about, did you? I said this to you. You, you, Kara was so surprised.
1: You know what? <laughs> it kind of makes sense though. Cause he's like a ghost guy, you know? you <laughs> was a ghost guy Makes I, I sense. actually
0: am writing about ghosts at the moment and it does make sense it makes a ton of sense mm-hmm. yeah it's well it's like you know you want to believe the world is a bit more interesting than mm-hmm. it actually is right it's like that's why people believe in ghosts and that's why people believe in conspiracy theories and um, also you don't want to
1: think that when you die it's all over and that the only shot cha- the only oh, existence yeah. you have is like you know this because a lot of yeah. people's existence is like really depressing actually and so you know I get it. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's depressing. Like the, the the world is boring and depressing if if this is all there is. But if you could be a if you could be a spooky ghost,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, for uh, sure.
0: Cool. I think the point of what I was saying that was meant to be go to patreon.com slash red underscore planet. So now I've said that again. Um, fab. Uh, Carrie, you wrote an intro, but do you want me to read it, or do you want to read it?
1: Um. You can read it if you want.
0: What? Do, no, what do you want? I'm asking.
1: I've never done an intro before and it makes me very nervous to do an intro.
0: Sure. <laughs> well, I believe in you. I think you'll do great.
1: Okay. You wrote uh, it. I'll do the intro. I'll do the intro.
0: <clears throat> okay. <clears throat>
1: <laughs> All right. So uh, this week, Red Planet has the privilege of bringing you Jamie Peck as our guest. You may know Jamie from her time co-hosting The Majority Report. From her time co-hosting the popular communist podcast, The Antifada, or from her Pern podcast, Everyone Loves Communism, a leftist history and theory podcast wherein Jamie and Aaron Thorpe of the Trailbilly Workers Party and Jorge Rocha of the DSA do readings so you don't have to. If you really throw down, you'll know Jamie from her recent work in the last three months, or sorry, the last seven months of being on the front lines of organizing militant resistance to the construction of Cop City. A would-be fascist paradise and training ground the city of Atlanta is planning to build over the Wilaoni Wee, the Wee Forest, which is the ancient homelands of the Musco- Muscogee people. Top City not only friends the sovereignty and survival of the Muscogee, it imposes its clear intent as a training ground and epicenter for the brutal wave of fascist reaction to the organized struggle of our burgeoning labor movement, both in the United States and in solidarity with the liberation of the imperial periphery abroad. Today, we have the great honor of inviting Jamie to help inform us of this crucially important act of defiance and resistance. So welcome, Jamie Peck, to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hello. Thanks for having me. That was quite the introduction.
2: Here I am. Here's my whole face for the first time ever. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Yay!
1: Well, uh, thanks for, for joining us, and I, um, Sophie's a big fan as well, so I just want to say...
0: I'm trying to be cool. Mira, I know, but I was going to put this? it out there. I just put it <laughs> no. out there that Sophie's a big
1: fan. Then that was out it. there, and it's fine. See, it's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jamie, why don't you tell us about some of your involvement with Stop Cop City, and we can wind around to talk about other stuff uh, throughout, but I feel like that's probably the like immediate um, topic.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, how did I get involved? Um, well, I guess the person who really convinced me to go down there was Andy, my old co-host from the Antifada. Uh, this is this is like uh, I don't know if this counts as a scoop, but um, (laughs) never told anyone (laughs) this before. I had a planet
0: exclusive.
2: I actually had a dream that was very much influenced by the Man in the High Castle. Have you guys seen, (laughs) read the book, or seen the TV series? They're both good in their own way. Like, you just have to wait a while after you read the book to watch the TV series because it's really, like, its own thing. Uh, Where I was getting sent on some, like, secret communist mission by the man in the high castle, and my contact for it was Andy. And I told Andy <laughs> that because I thought he would think it was funny. And he's like, well, your real mission is to go to Atlanta. And I was oh, like, shit. okay, sure. <laughs> and, you know, I went down first, like, kind of as a journalist, but also, like, you know, I'm not like a regular journalist. Like I'm a person with a point of view and I knew some of the people involved through, not just through Andy, through other places as well. But um, I went down there. I had been kind of burned out on DSA for a while, just like trying to find a project, an organizing project that I could believe in, you know, besides political education, which I've been doing all along, which is very important. But I wanted to do something like on the ground and you know you never know when you see a thing like this you know is it gonna be wacky is it gonna be like a weird uh autonomous zone where they let in a bunch of cranks is it gonna be some like 17 year old anarchitties like larping in the woods but these people they're serious they're we just um
0: we just went over to uh france to go to the notre dame de land uh zad Um, and it was very similar kind of um anticipation of like what kind of people are we going to find here like this is a bizarre thing because especially like i've known some people who are in the stonehenge heritage action group here who are camping out trying to defend stonehenge and also people who are in the grow Heathrow camp and like even between the two of them i i've heard like wildly different stories of how these things can turn out so it's like oh shit what's it gonna be
1: yeah yeah you don't know until you see it for yourself I've experienced from the during the George Floyd uprisings of being part of the creation of the Chaz, and that was my first taste of any of this. And I can, t- I'm just telling you, just from this, it was only lasted like two days, and of, uh, I don't think it was the same <laughs> as a. As, uh, um, uh what Sophie is describing, or from what you're describing, Jamie. So it's I. I mean, I would love to be actually able to have some like underground exposure to these groups, just to see how they function, because they sound oh, yeah. really inspiring. Yeah. Also, it was
0: your. Also, it was your dream quest. Like it was your. It was your divinely destined. Uh, I. I should start. I'm going to start telling my friends that I that I had a dream where they were my like handler for a mission (laughs) and then see which ones like seize on the opportunity to give me a quest and what quests they give me I feel like this is a great way to get get to know like something new about my friends
2: yeah (laughs) for sure love a good quest and you know what what started off as a side quest has really become my main quest because uh I have kind of dropped other things that i was doing and i'm devoting myself to this basically full-time i'm on speaking tour right now so i guess i should like back up a little bit and do some history that's so
1: awesome though that's amazing that like that's okay i just have to say that's really cool because to just move yourself somewhere because you feel like you want to help, you know, it's something that calls to you and then it turns into something much bigger and you actually like keep building momentum with it. That's that's really awesome. I want to hear more about this. So.
2: I think so too. Thanks yeah. fans. Thanks only fans for buying my nudes and making <laughs> it possible for me to be a full-time militant.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. And
2: Thank you Kira for <laughs> persuading me to do it when I was like, <laughs> should I do it? They are like, yeah, you should do it. And I was like, I'm like okay. you can make money
1: <laughs> it'll help i do need to make money fuck OnlyFans, the company but honestly like it's awesome for enabling like us to be able to kind of do the things we want to do while also just showing titties on the internet you know of course sure you no know, it's fine <laughs> it's definitely the
2: best job i've ever had as titties is the ongoing
0: theme of this episode somehow that is I so true
1: i was we started this well, episode, I was talking about how my boobs, I'm not my big boob art right now. So I was trying to explain the technology that makes this possible. They're
2: looking very full. Very Thank nice. you. <laughs> Can I say that? May I give a, I a collegiate yeah. compliment? Sex worker to sex worker? Yeah. KD's on fleek. So anyway. Thank you. <laughs> um, what happened? So yes, I went down there. I saw that these people are for real. You know, it's a very broad movement, a very broad composition with lots of different groups and people involved. uh, But they all kind of Maybe, th- maybe they don't always work together, strictly speaking. Maybe they're working at the same time in parallel, but they all respect each other's tactics and they all respect a diversity of tactics. So, like, maybe some people do sabotage on the construction site. Maybe some people are canvassing for the referendum, but nobody is denouncing anybody else's tactics or politics, which is, you know, unfortunately not something that you always encounter in the left, the broader movement for social justice or what have you. So, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, these people are for real. Then I went back again for the next week of action in June. It was very different from the March week of action. Less scary, less exciting, but also it felt like a chance to really plug in and deepen these organizing relationships in a way that nobody had any time to do in the March week of action. It was a time of regrouping. It was a time when someone like me, who's kind of new, has a chance to um, get in on the ground floor of the next phase of the movement as we were deciding what to do. Because um, I'd say that the people that I was most closely uh, working with um, had been focused very heavily on the encampment, in the forest and on some more militant tactics. We were in a bit of a bind on the second week of action because we were not able to retake the forest. Like we had done previously a few times in the Mm. past. Um, We just didn't have the numbers and found ourselves in an interesting conjuncture where more people than ever know about cop city, more people than ever oppose cop city in Atlanta, as well as, All over the country and even internationally however the number of people who are willing to show up and put their bodies on the line and do direct action uh to stop this thing has dwindled for a bunch of different reasons um but i think largely it's the repression people Mm. are scared people are also getting a little burned out especially the people who live in atlanta because it's just been thing after thing for more than two years now but um the repression has been really, really bad. Um, I'm sure you saw sixty-one people are now facing RICO charges for their involvement in this movement. They did a militarized SWAT raid on the home of the people who were running the Atlanta Solidarity Fund. They sent a fucking SWAT team to their house. It's Terrifying. unreal. Just
1: mutual aid equals SWAT. It's um unreal.
2: Yeah. Forty two people, I I believe, are now facing domestic terrorism charges for things as simple as um being there at the music festival when the cops got mad and started arresting people, including um, multiple legal observers, actually. And, of course, we know that they they killed a person. Mm-hmm. They, In addition to beating a number of people up really badly, they killed a protester named Tortugita who was um, camping out in the forest. And there were no witnesses to this event. Um, I don't think we'll ever really find out what happened because there's been a massive cover up. The police almost certainly planted a gun that they claimed Tortuguita shot at them first, but the autopsy report has been released and um, Tort was sitting on the ground cross-legged with their hands like this when they were shot mm-hmm. 57 times at least mm-hmm. by a multi-agency raid. And there was no gunpowder residue found on their hands, which would have been there if they had shot a police officer there's also a video it's body cam footage that got released (laughs) of one of the many different kinds of cops that did this raid questioning if um that other officer was wounded by friendly fire which it seems very likely that he was um so yeah the repression is scary i mean i certainly felt it i'm not made of stone you know when i was trying to sleep that first night in my tent in march i mean there were a lot of things working against me but um I'd say one of the things making me anxious was that they had just recently killed somebody not that far away from where I was mm-hmm. sleeping. There was also a police helicopter circling overhead, you know, kind of freaking me out, which is that that's why they do it. They love to do that to land defenders everywhere that, mm-hmm. uh, that that's mm-hmm. happening. But, um, yeah. So the movement's in a bit of a bind because people are afraid, even though more people than ever oppose this fucking thing. Um, there was a historic referendum campaign. Um, uh, to get th- this referendum on the ballot. It was supposed to be on the ballot in November. The city has pushed it back till at least March and they're going to do everything in their power to keep people from voting on this thing. Um, which is, you know, great for a city with such a legacy of, you know, the civil rights movement. People fought and died to get voting rights for black proletarians, especially. Now it's the Democrats that are trying to suppress the vote because it um, goes against their interests. It's never happened before in the history of the city of Atlanta that someone has uh, surpassed the 50,000 signature threshold needed to get a referendum on the ballot. Um, They just handed in over 120,000 signatures that the city didn't even want to accept at first, um, but now they've been forced to do so. Um, So it's like very clear that the people of Atlanta are against this thing and the people from all over the country are against this thing. And I should say it's uh, something that affects people from all over the country because it's going to train cops from all over the country and even places as far flung as Israel to <laughs> uh yes, to use urban warfare tactics against civilian populations in the event of another uprising like the George Floyd uprising of 2020, which by the way uh these plans kicked into high gear to build cup city in twenty twenty one It was a direct response to the George Floyd uprising. That is how they are thinking of it. That is how we should think of it too, even in the Rico charges which is a great great document if anyone wants to read it and uh mm. just marvel. At the ridiculousness of it all, they pinpoint the beginning of this this conspiracy, this criminal conspiracy as the day that George Floyd was murdered, uh, despite the fact that the plans for Cop City had not even been made public yet then. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you do the math. So anyway, we're trying to figure out how to get out of this bind that the movement is in and create an easy on ramp for people who want to show up and plug in because a lot of people, they don't know what to do. They want to help, but they don't know what to do. So um, we decided in these meetings to do uh, a mass act of nonviolent civil disobedience on the construction site, openly planned um, in the mold of the anti-nuclear movement of the 60s and 70s, and of course, in the mold of the civil rights movement, which has a very deep legacy in Atlanta. So we're inviting people from all over the country to come to Atlanta Veterans Day weekend, November 10th to 13th um, participate in two days of direct action trainings. And then on the 13th do this mass act on the construction site. Um, and that is a thing we're calling block cop city. And you can go to blockcopcity.org to learn more. You know, I'm down. Oh,
1: Hell I was yeah. going to say right now, I'm going to do Hell this. Yeah. I'm down oh yeah because <laughs> is like ring the sales bell ding-a-ling-a-ling <laughs> yeah. and i'm encouraging anyone else who's uh watching right now or listening through the podcast to also join join me so he said november 11th and 12th is training and 13th is, is is the actual occupation that's right and we're gonna have other events as well some of these events are more important than,
2: than others i mean the concerts i'm planning a concert that's gonna be really fun but um we're also going to have a spokes council for all the affinity groups that are coming down there to uh, be able to get some input on the plan as it develops into its final form. And um, you know, some decisions will have to be made that weekend because conditions on the ground are always changing. And we're going to have recon groups um, up until the morning of to make sure that we know what we're doing.
0: Oh mm-hmm. yeah,
1: can I ask you something uh, earlier that you were talking about in the very beginning of of Um, you're saying you're talking about a diversity of tactics actually working. Why do you think it's working now when it doesn't sometimes work in other times? Like I don't have a lot of on the ground experience. I've just, I know I I was part of, I've been part of a few protests. I was, I was part of a lot of the George Floyd uprisings. And like I said, like help the creation of the Chaz, um, which, you know, whatever, (laughs) but like, I really don't have that much on the ground experience. So like, my understanding my exposure to to a diversity of tactics really is seeing like a lot of social media try to attempt it and social media social media you know <laughs> i don't know if it's like the greatest the greatest um the greatest example of any sort of like political action per se and certainly tends to bring up to extract some of the more volatile you know combative elements of people at times So why do you think the diversity of tactics is actually working in this situation? Well, I think
2: one reason is that the very first act of protest against Cop City in 2021, when plans were first made public, was an act of sabotage on the construction site. So everyone who's come into the movement since then has had to kind of reckon with that and respect it. And um, that has been cool to see. You know, I think Atlanta has a very deep history of radical organizing. And um, that is holding firm. I think people are pretty disciplined in a way they maybe aren't elsewhere. I don't know. It's also just like... The thing that we're fighting against is so bad and the repression is so bad that it's really galvanized everybody who uh, doesn't think they should cut down the forest of Atlanta to build a giant city for the cops to practice killing people in. Like most people can agree that a forest is better than that. And like a park where, you know, kids can play people from the black working class neighborhood around there. Um, you know, they like the park. They don't want their park taken away. So there's lots of different reasons why people want to stop Cup City.
1: Mm, okay. And earlier you were also talking about like how it's difficult to retake the forest at the moment. Um, or it, it was because of like the lack of body. So when you're talking about retaking the forest, is that literally just setting up camp in the forest? Yeah. And you were part of that. Yeah. So
2: during the March week of action, there was a really big march. There were, I don't know. I'm not good at estimating numbers. There were a lot of people there. Definitely at least 500. We retook the forest without incident. The cops didn't even try to stop us. Set up camp. There was a music festival. And then the second day, the cops decided to raid the music festival in response to some spicier acts of sabotage that had happened um, mm-hmm. that they couldn't catch any of the people who did it. So they just raided the music festival and started snatching people up. Um, in June, we were not able to retake the forest because we didn't have the numbers. And if we don't think something is going to be safe we are going to call it off. And the same holds true for this thing that we're doing. I think um there's safety in numbers and uh there is a floor below which we won't do it. But I'm very optimistic from my tour stops so far that we're going to get a lot of people from all over the place to come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's, like I said, there's safety in numbers. Obviously, I don't want to pretend like it's 100% safe ever when the cops are involved, but um I think they're a lot less likely certainly to uh freak out and shoot someone they're a lot less likely to um engage in any kind of targeted violence um they're a lot less likely to uh even hit people with serious serious charges if there's a thousand of us in broad daylight um sticking together you know a lot of the time where you run into trouble is when people sort of panic and scatter and get picked off one by one, like in a horror movie. That's kind of what happened with the raid in March. Uh, But we're going to have two days of nonviolent direct action training where we learn how to stick together, how to de-escalate situations, and how to make decisions on the fly that I'm very confident are going to help make everybody as safe as possible
1: Mm, okay
0: when you're talking about burnout something that we saw a lot on the on the zad and and, and in learning about the history of the zad was like the ways that they support each other enabling the struggle and the struggle enabling the support and they made quite a point of like talking about i guess like the hippie movement they they seceded from the struggle and they just did their communes and then like so they weren't doing anything and then and then a lot of activists throughout time and especially today like getting burned out because they don't have the support structures for each other. I Like, I wonder if you have kind of comments on the support structures and like the community and the way that they're supporting each other uh, within the struggle in, in Atlanta at the moment?
2: Um, I think that's super important. I think we've all experienced burnout. Anyone who's ever organized for any amount of time that is has, I certainly have, but we're sort of developing processes on we go as we go to sort of onboard people. We just onboarded a bunch of new people who are going to help with the administrative support for the speaking tour, for instance, because that is a lot of work. And the people who are on the tour, like myself, don't necessarily want to do all of the admin work at the same time that we're, you know, driving from place to place and giving these presentations. So that's been really cool to see. There are, I mean, we're we're always growing our coalition in the communities um, that we're working in, which is really important. I mean, we just announced this, like, when did we announce? September 12th. So yeah, we have some work left to do in terms of doing work in the community, building coalitions. But there are a number of churches in Atlanta that have already agreed to open their doors and house people during this weekend, which is really cool. And we're getting a bunch of different organizations on board. Um, there's actually a, a handy dandy form on the blockcopcity.org website for people to fill out on behalf of their organization. We've got liberals in our coalition. We've got people who might be considered Marxist Leninists. We've got anarchists because everyone just, we all just hate the cops so much. So, uh, and, you know, love the environment. Love the air quality, wanna well, don't love the air quality, but it could be worse. It could be a lot worse if they cut down this mm-hmm. forest. Flooding could be a lot worse than it is now if they cut down this huge forest in Atlanta. Serves a very important purpose. But um, yeah, we're always thinking about like ways we can incorporate more community support and collective care into our praxis.
0: I have a question about the use of the word militant because I think this is um, a word that's used more today than it has been before. And uh, you used it earlier. Uh, It was, I think, in a a passing joke, but I'm curious what your feelings about the use of the word in organizing. Um, Yeah.
2: Yeah, so people do like to throw this word around and its meaning can be somewhat slippery. I think sometimes people use it to mean just like, the riskiest, spiciest kind of action that uh, anyone could possibly do. I mean, I use it that way sometimes as well. Um, I also like the definition. I'm like trying to remember which member of the Black Panther Party used it this way, defined it this way. I want to say it was Fred Hampton, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, but their, their definition of militant is basically how much does this occupy your life? You know, how mm. much of your life, how much mm. of your time have you devoted to this struggle? So, you know, you could be militant about the referendum if you do it every single day and devote your life to it.
0: In the analogy, like a professional soldier of that struggle.
2: Yeah, mm. for sure. Like militant in the military sense, basically. Although, you know, we don't have uniforms. Well, I think I think <laughs>
0: I sometimes say about the, like, uh, about militant organizing is how does any army get anywhere in sync and one foot after the other like whenever people want to do something that's really extreme that like a only they can do and no one else can do and b like is way is it such an absurd escalation from where people are currently doing action that it, it would just put everyone on the back foot my understanding of it has to do with like the practices that are historically like deployed by military in terms of organizing people to do stuff. Like we talked on, I think it was on the Red Planet Fundraiser stream, but we were we were talking with some like ex-military people there about like the relationships of labor and re- and reproductive labor and care labor within the military and like where you can learn pretty obvious lessons from like the military organizing things. And I think that the word is um, like you said, like people use it to mean like the spiciest thing because like the military has an association with fighting and guns and weapons. Right. But like, I think there are a lot of uh, comparisons to like make based on their organization of labor.
2: For sure. Speaking of organization of labor, I think it's also important to note that this is a really um, horizontal movement. So nobody is in charge. Despite the weird uh, government claim that there's a leader of the Stop Cop City movement that doesn't go into the forest, like, who the fuck are they talking about? That's not true. (laughs) It's a horizontal movement. Nobody's in charge, (laughs) telling everyone what to do. It's been a composition as opposed to, like, necessarily a coalition thus far, for the most part. Like, we all respect each other. We all consider each other comrades of the struggle, but maybe we could work a little more closely on some things when it's time to unite. But there's actually been some interesting things written about the strategy of composition. My friend Hugh wrote something for Ill Will Editions on the strategy of composition in relationship to Stop Cup City that I think is really interesting. But yeah, I think even when we do the spokes council the weekend of, everybody gets a say in what we're doing. So Uh representatives from all the different affinity groups are going to be on the spokes council. So in that way we're all going to be like federated together in sort of a horizontalist, I guess anarchistic model of organizing rather than top down and I think it's served us pretty well so far. I think the movement has been able to change and evolve in a nimble way with the changing conditions and I think, you know, I'm not like married to that method of organization for everything necessarily, but I do think it makes sense for this and for a
1: lot of things. Has it introduced any uh sort of you know, obstacles that you want to share i'm speaking from experience here because again my only experience with anything that was attempted to be horizontal was the chaz, and it kind of didn't work maybe that's a controversial thing to say i know some people have some very like strong feelings about their experience with it but i just remember them being there being a little bit of conflict and a little bit of like ego and um not exactly like the times where i was trying to um you know, seek out help about a particular guy that was stalking me, it didn't seem like mm. anyone was really willing to actually take my side on that. And like, it didn't seem like it was very uh, effective. And so my experience with and I'm not does not me denying your experience, by the way, this is me trying to learn of like, how, how, how that didn't work. And how you're saying that the comp the well, you're seeing the composite way of kind of like working together, and um, doing direct action has been very successful. Have you run into any sort of like, Issues that you've found workarounds for, for this particular type of direct action? Like areas of conflict that have to be worked yeah. out? I mean, yeah, there's...
2: I personally haven't experienced any of them, but I've certainly heard about them. Like, for instance, um, I'm thinking some of the, you know, some of the punks, some of the sort of anarcho-punks wrote some vulgar graffiti on some places in the park, which is still a park where people bring their kids you know and you know like fuck the police or whatever uh you know and there some people were not happy about that and they had to work it out between them and you know the anarcho-punks are usually actually pretty nice people when it comes down to it and they're like well i'm I'm sorry didn't mean (laughs) to didn't think about that but like you know we live we learn it's not perfect certainly but um I think working in composition sort of parallel to one another um, means that we don't always have to agree on everything in order to be working towards a common goal. So that's um, that's cool. But like, yeah, no, it's not perfect. There was some shit got fucked up with the Atlanta DSA as well. um, And those fences are still being mended. I think the Atlanta DSA. Well, you can read the Medium post if you want to. They didn't do everything right. But, um, hopefully these fences are being mended. I've been talking to them a little bit and myself as a member of DSA, trying to grow these connections and you know give them another chance to intervene in a productive way that um, respects everyone's autonomy and um I know they've been working on the referendum campaign. I'm trying to get them involved in the uh, the block cop city campaign. I mm-hmm. think I think if we get like because we're also talking to like Working Families Party and like the Sierra Club. And, you know, if people like that are on board, I think that might push the DSA to all as, you know, an ostensibly socialist organization to Mm -hmm. uh,
1: get on board as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds like uh, what you're saying is a good way to chide it to go about this horizontal form of organizations for people just to get to know each other more. Like if you have these contacts across the board, seems like, it's a little easier to see eye to eye and come to an agreement and, like, without having the need of, you know, some sort of like coercive hierarchy to like force these things to happen. Yeah.
2: Like, honestly, a lot of problems can be solved by people just talking to each other. But uh, yeah, that doesn't always work. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You got to have processes. Um, yeah. I don't have a perfect answer for
1: it for sure. No, no, that's, that's perfect. That is a perfect answer, I think.
0: There's always so much like, discussion in the abstract about like whose ideology is better and who's going to uh, like how they're going to do the organizing that's going to do the revolution or whatever but it's just um, ideology is action um, is, is the thing that gets done and uh, that's the thing you're doing whether you believe it or not and so like any large enough movement like this is going to contain people of different tendencies. And then it's again, like what they're doing that is the, the ideology being performed, not the, uh not whoever's tendency is one out or whatever. And so like when people are having idea, like abstract discussions that are just words and have no action to them, you're making the ideology, not itself. It is no longer itself. If it is removed from the action. And so these abstract discussions are always like really I don't know, just silly. Like, if you just look at any, any, any mass movement, it's just a bunch of people who believe different stuff deciding to do the thing that they all agree on together. Um, Jamie, so, um, a lot of people talked about, is it blockadia or a barricade? I think it's blockadia theories of like the climate revolution, as we can see emerging, uh, coming out of places that are like holding territory, autonomous zones and so on, like, uh, in the, in the climate struggle and those kind of, spreading coalescing working together exchanging resources strengthening because uh land reform has been a vital part of absolutely every uh large-scale socialist revolution and it's a socialist revolution it's gonna be necessary to stop climate change from killing the planet but how much do you think land is a conscious part of um the understanding of what's going on how much do you think there are people consciously thinking about like the people's ownership of the forest as opposed to climate or police cop city yeah, is a very like is the overlap of several issues at once so how much do you think land figures in there
2: yeah i think land is super important um i mean i can tell you a little bit of history of this land that we're trying to um trying to liberate for the people um it was originally occupied by the muskogee tribe an indigenous tribe of native americans obviously they were violently displaced Uh, by settler colonialism, like most Native American tribes were. After that, it was uh, clear cut and became farmland, was worked by slaves for many, many years. Um, After that, it was a prison farm. So you see that continuation of this sort of internal colonialism, this combination of racial oppression and class exploitation that American capitalism runs on. And it was a prison farm until 1990. Um, 1990, it became a publicly owned forest and park. And it has been that way ever since. A lot of the trees there are new growth. It's a new growth forest because it hasn't been there for a thousand years. It was clear cut, you know, within our historical memory. But the trees grew back because they always do. Um, And now they're trying to turn it back into an instrument of Like I said, racial oppression and class exploitation, which is still what American capitalism runs on. Um, so we are trying to prevent them from doing that. Certainly, keep it a public park in the short term, because that is certainly better than uh, the cop city. But uh, you know, in the long run, of course, what we're trying to do is um, communize the land and um it's it's great to see there are muskogee people involved in this struggle people are coming back to their ancestral homeland um and saying hey we need to liberate this land and we lived in harmony with this land for a really long time and you know we can show you how to do it once more and you know i don't i don't know the like nitty-gritty details of how we're going to give the land back to the native american tribes i i do know that um I think as we communize the land uh, in our optimistic future scenario and return it to the people at large, I think the native americans who were here first certainly have a very important role to play in guiding us how to use this land. Um some people think it, we're talking about like the capitalist concept of land ownership like transferring it from one owner back to, you know, the tribes in this very um capitalistic way. And that's not, I mean, that's certainly not what I'm thinking about. And that's not what most people are thinking about when they talk about giving the land back. But um, yeah, it's uh, its a really important part of this whole thing. And hopefully someday, um, I mean, this is, this is my politics here. I'm not speaking for everybody, but um, hopefully someday we'll open up these autonomous zones and there's just going to be so many of them that it's going to be everywhere. So maybe someday we can shift from defending these little parcels of land to, oh hey, what if we did that everywhere and that's communism? Boom. <laughs> Boom. Oh yeah. Easy, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it should be simple enough. <laughs> It was something I didn't quite understand when we first talked to uh, our friends on the Zad. When we had them on the show, we asked them like, "What's kind of next for you?" And they, basically, the short answer was, they said, "Well, we want to reverse the enclosures and get people back to common land." And I was like, "Oh, cool! Like, you know, you know, nice achievable goal." Then, um, but having been there and talked to them about it more and better understanding of these kinds of autonomous zones, since like, yeah, I, that's the <laughs> that's kind of it, right? That's the that's the long game.
2: Yeah, there's actually a really good book that I read if anyone wants to have a nice vision of how that could work, how that could look. You know, one of many visions of the glorious uh rev- of the glorious revolution future. It's called Everything for Everyone. An oral history of the new york commune twenty fifty two to twenty seventy two by man abdelhadi and Emmy O'Brien. We did an episode with them of uh everybody loves communism and it was uh super enlightening. I love speculative fiction. I love science fiction. I think those were some of the first things that uh really started opening my mind up to the horizons and you know the fact that what we see before us is not the only possible world that we could live in
0: yeah no i mean my favorite uh books are the mars trilogy by kim stanley robinson i just Hell think yeah. that's like fiction to explore that kind of stuff is really important uh there was i read something called utopia as method um by susan levitas a while ago or maybe ruth levitas she was called levitas anyway um and her point was this like you know we tell stories because we're I do no, know I think it's very human I think we're, we're storytellers as a species, but like um you know constructing a political project needs us to tell stories about how good the future could be.
1: this reminds me of a video you've made sophie uh called life on Mars where and I think yeah. it's really powerful this idea where you can just kind of like envision if you could build that society from the ground up based off of like how you want our our like your life to be and our lives to be what that looked like um uh, I think it's a really powerful exercise, not only, I'm sure, to do, but also to, like, see. Mm. I gotta check it out. No, no, Sophie... so Yeah, Sophie is a super-duper great content creator.
0: I've been thinking a lot recently about uh, local revolutionary context to the UK and how much it needs to be feminist. Uh, how much explicit uh, feminist organizing uh, do you think is part of uh, what you're doing in Atlanta?
2: Ooh, good question. I mean... I haven't really thought about it that much. Uh, I will say that it's a very, uh, as a movement, there are a lot of women involved. There are a lot of LGBT people involved. Um, I don't know why, I guess, the sort of broadly anarchist and anti-state communist left tends to be a lot more queer and trans than other parts of the left. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that, like, Some of the first people to, like, question the gender binary and stuff like that were anarchist thinkers. It could also be as simple as, I don't know, subcultural affiliations, which also, like, drive membership in various parts of the left.
0: I think part of my theory has to do with, like, a lot of the struggle uh, for women and queer people, which, like, I think people try to avoid lumping cis women and queer people together as one uh, block. But like my partner Nat's been talking a lot recently about feminized people as the oppressed class under patriarchy. Like there's cis cis het men generally white and able-bodied for sure. And then there's feminized people people whose oppression uh treats them in the feminine class um whether they are feminine themselves or not so you know fringe examples of this would include cishet men who are men of color do a lot of like uh care labor jobs for very little pay especially if they're migrants uh in the uk um and this is like this is feminizing like they're, they're put into a role that is traditionally a role of women women and queer people i think like their, their understanding of a state oppression has a has a lot to do with reproductive labor and care labor and how it's organized. And often uh, Marxists who haven't read their angles kind of look past that in their organizing and don't really want to uh, change the situation for women and queer people. And then so they're like, ah, fuck that.
1: Yeah, <laughs>
2: for sure. I mean, it, I think it is also like the forest itself has been such a special liminal vibey space a little bit apart from the rest of society so it makes sense that people who maybe don't fit in in normal society would be drawn to there um i think it also just so happened that a lot of the first a lot of the earliest organizers were lgbt people and women and you know not cis men and um you know when that happens they always make it a welcoming space for more people like Mm -hmm. themselves to come in and participate.
1: I'm really excited to come out there because I've been hearing so much about it and I've been feeling so like helpless and just like, as an American, it feels weird to be like in this country and just to keep reading about things that are occurring in it and not be able to have my hands in it in some way, shape or form. Although it is like you were discussing earlier, it is a a scary It's pretty yeah. scary. That's why I try to be clear a lot of times because I'm the only American on this show. Like Sophie's lives in England and so does DJ Mule. And then Tim lives in New Zealand. And so I try to describe to them like <laughs> the intimidation that I feel uh, involved in myself in direct action given the state of how militarized the police are here and what they are just capable of doing with literally no pushback at all. But it's also something that I feel this like in me where it's like these are the values that I hold very dear to me and they're very central to who I am and then there's the actions that I participate in which is not reflecting those values and it's just very very frustrating so I'm looking to what you're doing and it's something really inspirational and I'm, I'm really excited to, to make my way out there even for a bit just to just to finally be able to touch grass out there yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited
2: to see you there.
1: Yeah. I'm so pumped. We can finally like actually like be like, like in the same room. that be cool. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I feel like I need to think through this like feminism question more because I know there's like so much more there. Um, actually, you know, who probably would have a better answer is Sylvia Federici, who I am doing an event with. I'm 90% sure as part of my, um, my little homecoming events in new york city at um woodbine space yeah so for those who don't know she's like an influential marxist feminist thinker who was also part of the anti-nuclear movement and part of the midnight notes collective so wrote some of the things that we've actually been reading in our own internal reading group already and uh i'm excited to talk to her about this stuff because i think she has some really good connections to draw between you know eco-socialism and feminism yeah
0: I referenced her um, wages against housework in my recent video, The World Is Not Ending. Uh, I've spent two years working on a video called The World Is Not Ending because I realized that we were going to fight back and do the thing. Um, Hell yeah. How do I explain that to people? And it's it's probably going to wind up being a long video. And I spent two years and I made a two and a half hour kind of documentary thing. But yeah, when she says like if heterosexuality and homosexuality are both working conditions then homosexuality is the workers control of the means of production, not an end to work. I think that's a great quote.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah,
2: I'm also excited to start writing more again. That was my career for the majority of my adult life until I got offered that job at the majority report. They kind of mm-hmm. changed my life about five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to get back to that, but um, I have a book proposal currently out on submission no one has bought
0: it yet, but
2: I hopefully,
0: <gasps> hopefully. You're allowed to talk about it. Can you drop Yeah, Yes.
2: It's an outward facing memoir about my experiences growing up in the early 2000s. It kind of led me to the politics that I have today. And it's sort of a combination of memoir and like political economy and like cultural critique that I think some people don't want to buy it because it's a memoir. Some people don't want to buy it because they're intimidated by all the political economy I put in there to make it be more than a memoir. I don't know. I think I got a call with my agent next week and she's going to, I don't know. We'll see if we need to like pivot or, because she's only gone after like the biggest publishers so far. And I feel like I might be better suited for like a smaller, more niche publisher that kind of gets me. So I remember
0: when I was like only I'd only been out for about a year but I had done some like public speaking stuff because I was already well known because of my channel and then like a publisher asked me if I wanted to write a book about being trans and I was like fucking no I've been out for like 10 minutes I'm a baby are you kidding me and then I was like I could write a book about being trans online and in a very political space and what my thoughts about all that are and they were just like that's too political and I'm like
1: (laughs) yeah can we please please talk about being trans but don't make it political if you could be so (laughs) kind that's hilarious yeah i mean that's
2: kind of the journey i had when i used to be a feminist lady blogger you know a third wave feminist lady blogger like very i remember
1: your piece on iud's which was like we talked about this like this is so long ago but like we bumped into each other online when i was complaining about iud's and you were pointing me to your medium article about like how you don't actually like getting IUDs and have to actually hurt super horribly. And that was like, so eye opening to me. And like, did you know that you don't have to be in an actual like mortal agony when you get an IUD inserted or removed? I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. You can be a baby about it or just a normal person who doesn't want to endure horrible pain about it and (sighs) get conscious sedation. It's great. Yeah.
1: If anyone doesn't know for whatever reason an IUD is an intrauterine device I believe it's called it's basically like it's de- it comes in different shapes and you know sizes whatever types but um it's like a little T-shaped device that is inserted in your uterus and it is done to uh, as a form of birth control and so when it's inserted, it goes like the doctor will put this hollow, like stick in the, I can't, I don't know, hollow stick in you and push it through your cervix, which is normally closed. Uh, when your cervix opens is, is typically when your, your cervix is dilated. And that's like, you know, like whenever you watch a show and they're like, Oh, you're this many centimeters dilated. They're talking about the, the cervix opening up and preparing you for, uh, giving birth. And so they just insert this thing right in there without your body being ready for it. Uh, And then they put this device in you, they push it through and then they remove it. And the whole thing is very painful, but typically women have never really gone any sort of pain relief or any sort of even acknowledgement that this pain that you're experiencing is like severe and is unnecessary because who gives a fuck about women and their reproductive like rights or comforts or anything, you know what i mean like who who gives a shit? <laughs> Women are supposed to feel labor pains your it's your punishment for wanting the birth control or whatever weird rationale that someone decides to come up with on the fly right um, so I've been getting I have an i u d inserted I've been getting them it, it like i think you like it depends on the time when you get, but mine is like I think every five years or seven years, I get it replaced mm. and it hurts like hell. And I never knew it like it's, it's, it's a very violating pain. Like it's, it's not just a pain. It's like a, it's like a really invasive, like it shouldn't, this feels wrong. The doctors that I've always, that's always like done the insertion, and the removal has always treated my pain. Like it was something that was kind of like annoying for them. Like, Oh, shut up you know, basically, and I, I'm i not the only woman that's experienced this. And so um, when I bumped into Jamie online about this, she directed me to her article about it, where she like, basically pushed to get pain relief and finally found a doctor that was happy to give it to her. But it was, it was like a quest. And I don't know, I just want to tell you, I really appreciate that article. Well, thank you. <laughs> I felt so like, is it might be, am I wrong for feeling violated and feeling like that was horrific pain that I now feel like I have to kind of Have a little bit of like trauma from, like I felt like I have trauma from this pain. Yeah, I just, you know, maybe
2: I'm just a wimp. I don't know, but like (laughs) all the descriptions of it that people had been telling me made it sound like something that I didn't want to put myself through. No, you're 100% right. But of course, you know, your insurance doesn't always want to pay for it. The doctor is just trying to get through the day. Because, you know, uh, I don't want, I don't even want to know all the like financial bullshit that they have to deal with. So their time is very precious to them because they have to pay back their. You know, student loan debt that they took out to go to medical school and the reimbursement rates are often not great for something like this. And, you know, it takes extra time and the regulations are very onerous. So they have to go usually, uh, an office, an obGn office is not set up to do IV sedation, even though there's absolutely no reason that they couldn't be. So they have to go to a different place. And team up with an anesthesiologist and take extra time out of their day to do it. And insurance doesn't like to pay for it. But, like, you know, I would hope that in a, a different world, one centered around collective care, where we all take care of each other and, mm. um, you know, resources aren't being hoarded that there would be the time and the space for people to get the proper kind of health care and the proper mm-hmm. kind of pain relief for something like this. And, you know, it's not just sexism. People are expected to endure all sorts of awful medical procedures without any anesthetic for, yeah. you know, various related reasons. But I do think that's part of it. Like, you know, women are just expected to be able to deal with certain kinds of pain and if, you know, I mean, I see this also in efforts to, like, get help for my other, like, lady problems. Like, if it can't kill you or make you infertile, they, like, really don't care about your <laughs> quality of life. They don't care about your sex life. You know, they don't give a shit. And, mm-hmm. um oh, and women's pain has historically been under, undersold and under, underlisted to women and people of color. There's been some study, like, men are more likely to receive pain medication and women are more likely to be treated for anxiety when they're having you know a reaction to horrible pain so just yeah. one of many things that makes my blood boil mm-hmm.
0: well when no, i when i was talking about um hrt earlier like this is absolutely somewhere where they do not care about our quality of life like i don't know i have a bit of a, like an arm check conspiracy about progesterone in the uk because like They'll give us estrogen, but they won't give us progesterone and and progesterone like helps enormously with how well someone's medical transition is going but like the uh one of the notable side effects is that it really increases libido and like a lot of people just basically talk as if like
1: <laughs>
0: uh estrogen h r t like like the like transition for trans women will kill will for sure kill your libido and I'm like well there's there's complicated there's complicated stuff in there because one part is i think that people they start to experience sexuality in an entirely new way and you have to do a lot of figuring out in order to get there but like but they think the other side of it is like they don't give us progesterone and like cis women have estrogen and progesterone so why like why are they why are they hesitant to do that and i honestly think that it's like you know, they, they they don't they just don't really see any benefits in it, despite the enormous benefits that we see because it's to do with our quality of life.
2: Yeah, yeah I'm sure they I include trans women, obviously, when I say doctors don't listen to women. Um, they're like, oh, what you you want to be a woman. We're letting you do that. Oh, you want to <laughs> have a sex drive, too? Isn't that asking a lot, honey?
0: Anyway, I go progesterone now and it's going great. So, you know, fuck the NHS.
1: Yeah. Get it, girl. I think it's also based on this idea that, like, um, from some people's perspectives, that being a trans woman is some sort of, like, expression of perversion or something. And so, like, how dare you actually have, like, an active sex drive while while existing as, as some sort of perversion? You know what I mean? It's, um... Yeah. Yeah. Not great. It's not not good. good. It's not great.
0: <laughs> I would really, really rather that we were, like, yeah, uh forcibly made asexual um, mm. we we've wandered onto this i I feel like okay, so um I may as well say I feel like a really big thing people should be organizing around um as a as the combined struggle like is bodily autonomy and should be talking in those terms much more clearly because like when you look at like uh stock cop city we said already there are three huge overlaps and there are probably more if, if you if you think about it for a while, but like there's climate and anti fascism and land all at the same time and i feel like bodily autonomy when it comes to medicine is like something that actually affects basically every person in the world and we don't act like it does we we act like you know it just affects some fringe groups and then and then like when it's discussing uh especially like minorities that are literally small in number like trans people people just come up with opinions that are like the exact opposite of what they would want applied to themselves like they're literally supporting like the stripping back of people's medical rights and if they had it applied to themselves they'd be like this is completely wrong the state is it's well i mean the, the simplest way to point this to, this to this would be like anti-vaxxers who are also anti-trans it's like you <laughs> You don't want the state to tell you what to do with your body. You also want the state to tell us exactly what to do with our body, you know?
2: Mm, Hypocrite much? Yeah. Oh, (laughs) this gave me a thought. Oh, yeah. This is sort of an intersection of the abolitionist movement with the environmentalist movement. And, you know, one tie-in to what we've been talking about is state violence, right? And that's one... Like, you have socialized medicine in the UK.
0: First asterisk in theory, double asterisk for now.
2: Of course, of course. But that's always been being portrayed as the magic bullet by, like, you know, Bernie Sanders, like, Jacobin Social Democrat types. But uh, there's plenty. I mean, you've just described to me the ways that the state is doing violence to your body when it's in charge of your health care. So, you know, I think that's just one more reason we need to go beyond that and get rid of this, this, this state power, this hierarchical state power
0: trans people in the uk experience segregated healthcare like it is it is entirely segregated based on cis or trans like the um i don't think i know any trans people who don't have an interaction with private medicine in the uk whether it's formal private medicine of like um fully legislated private healthcare or whether it's informal private medicine like gray market and black market purchasing of hrt like It's so common because our healthcare is such utter dog shit, specifically because we're trans. I just have a chip on my shoulder about it because of the, like, um, this is what I mean about it being, in theory, socialized. Because for us, it's not.
2: Hmm. Yeah. The devil's in the details. And, you know, I don't really... Obviously, it would be better to have a National Health Service in the United States than what we have now, which is basically nothing. But... There are lots and lots of problems that could still exist as long as we live in, you know, a world with this much work left to do. So we mm-hmm, can't, we can't mm-hmm. stop there. We have to keep going.
0: Well, let's talk about the work to do. So you are doing a uh, tour uh, to do with Block Cop City. Do you want to tell us more about the tour and what your goals are? Like how you're approaching people to try and get them to join in and help?
2: Yeah, sure. So this tour uh, we conceived of as uh, a sort of natural national outreach attempt to tap into all different networks that exist and maybe help strengthen them and build them out even further. Um, we are doing tour stops in at least 70 places, including one in Canada and one in Mexico. So we can say that we're covering, I mean, obviously not all of North America, but you know, we're getting our neighbors to the North and South involved as well. Um, So what happens at a tour event? We give a presentation, a little talk that, you know, we have sort of a standardized slideshow, but all the presenters kind of put their own spin on it and tailor it to their um, particular location and set of expertise and interests as well, um, telling you a little bit about the history of this land, a history of the struggle, and um, why this fight is important, and then sort of introducing the new plan, the new phase of this movement and why we are choosing to do this in this moment. Um, So that's been really good so far. And it's a great place for people to come and get plugged in. Um, The first few stops that I've done uh, were in Massachusetts and the people at these stops were very much already like organizing together, but it's also a good place to go. If you want to get plugged in and don't know how Um, there's a Q and a session where people can, uh, ask us questions, raise any concerns they have. Um, and if sometimes it can be very generative and, uh, you know, I'll send stuff not up the chain because we're horizontal, but, you know, I'll send it like around the chain and see if anyone has thoughts. Like someone asked thoughts about through the chain
0: mail
1: across the chains. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, like someone asked uh, how, what we're doing to make this action more accessible to disabled people. And I was like, I don't actually know. Let me see if anyone's working on that and, you know, bring it up at one of the big meetings that we have every week. Um, And then at the end, we are collecting people's contact information. Um, We're adding them to the mailing list. They give us their emails. And then if they say they're interested in coming to Atlanta, either definitely or maybe Um, we are collecting their numbers and starting signal threads for them so that people in the different regions can um, organize with each other. They, I wasn't doing that at first, but everybody asked me to do it at these tour stops. They like, they're like, we know we all know each other already. We want to be connected so we can make plans and affinity groups. So I was like, okay, great. And I think we're also going to do um, a read only signal thread for everyone coming to Atlanta so that, you know, it's not going to be blowing up your phone 24 seven. It's just going to be important announcements that we communicate to everybody who's coming. So I'm pretty sure that's how we're going to do it um we have yet to like formally systematize this because the tour has really just begun but we're going to probably systematize it at the meeting <laughs> next week. We I literally just had a meeting about this so it's very uh it's very fresh in my mind. But uh yeah, the goal is to sort of uh give people the tools And get them hyped, not just to come to Atlanta, but also to continue organizing in their own areas um, with whatever local issues they have going on. And, you know, it's not just about what's happening November 13th either. Um, It's what's happening in the midterm and the long term. In the midterm, obviously, there's a lot of time between November and March. Um, where more fucked up things will probably happen and we need people engaged and ready to spring into action. Uh, yeah, in the, the longer term, again, more fucked up things are going to happen and we need to deepen these networks. We need to get practice. We need to train people and ourselves. We need to get the tools necessary to respond when more fucked up things happen in the world. Um, and we need to practice overcoming our fear as a group. I think that's something really important. Um, cause, you know, I'm kind of a baby about everything generally. I have often like felt bad about myself for being like, Oh, I'm a little marshmallow. What could I possibly do? Like, I'm a little white girl from the suburbs of Connecticut. But then, you know, I find myself getting braver when I'm around other people who care about the same things as me. And Courage I think, calls
0: to courage, right?
2: Yeah. It's a it's a great chance to sort of uh, grow as a human and discover your superpower. So that's been really powerful. And, you know, obviously we're stronger together, just like Hillary Clinton said
0: well also as hillary clinton said i feel great
1: (laughs) front of the show hillary clinton by the way (laughs) Uh,
0: so you mentioned the long term a couple of times there i feel like maybe for the time remaining before we do the q a um we should talk more about the long term so like one question that comes to mind is like do you see this as potentially being a big win that sets precedent for land back like on a larger scale like and i'm distinguishing land back and the general notion of land reform but i think in, in the north american context like land back they're kind of one and the same
2: yeah yeah for sure i mean that is my goal in participating in this not only to stop cop city but to sort of move the ball towards revolution towards global the, the real cop city
0: is america
2: right i mean it's not just America. It's capitalism. It's capitalist fucking patriarchy. Fucking white white supremacy. All of these things that are in full force and display in full force in America, but not the only place they exist. Um, definitely part of my revolutionary horizon. If you think about what we need to do to actually save the world from climate change, it is a complete restructuring of of the global economy. And capitalism, the state under capitalism is never going to let that happen. Um, And who, who do they send when people are trying to, you know, sit in a tree and protect a forest from being cut down? Who do they send to the pipeline protests to stop the indigenous water protectors? It's the fucking cops. So the movement... For the earth must also be a movement against the police in all senses of the word. So, um, that's something that I really want to hammer on. And, um, in terms of victories, uh, you asked something about like, uh, what happens if we win, right?
0: Yeah. I was asking if you think it sets a precedent for land reform in the North American context and we could just call that land back for short.
2: That'd be pretty cool. Uh, I mean, I hope it, that it does. But even if we don't manage to stop Cop City, where they're trying to build it, um, they've already canceled a number of similar projects around the country because this one was getting so much heat. So we can definitely claim those victories already. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think it's very possible that we will win. I think um, in terms of land back and land reform, the Muscogee people are involved and i think it's really important that they are and um hopefully that'll be like a cool problem to have to figure out exactly how land back is going to work as we expropriate everything from capital and the state
0: yeah uh big up expropriating everything from capital and the state uh do you have any questions about like the longer term project i guess this is this could be a long-term question how much do you see class consciousness emerging in uh, climate movements, and how much do you think this is going to progress as time goes on?
2: Ooh, good question. I mean, I'm kind of new to the climate movement myself. I come to this fight more from the abolitionist world, the abolitionist end of things. Um, certainly, it's possible to have this kind of like green militarism that like Elizabeth Warren advocates, for example, this kind of green capitalism like, oh well, you know, we're gonna solve climate change with uh, you know, financial incentives for companies to do the right thing or whatever.
0: Big structural climate denial
2: <laughs> Yeah. I I just don't see that happening. I mean I guess it's possible that, mm. you know, uh under capitalist social relations like elon musk or someone well not him because he's a fucking idiot but you know someone else will like invent the magical thing that's gonna like clean the air and then Mm -hmm. we can keep burning fossil fuels forever except we can't because we're gonna run out
0: this cartoon of the uh the the box fan and it somehow takes the carbon (laughs) out of the air and we're gonna be okay i love that cartoon it it gives me all the dopamine i clap whenever (laughs) i see it
2: yeah it seems like pretty unlikely that's gonna happen uh and I think a lot of, especially young people in the climate justice movement, are uh, understanding that very intuitively. And you know, as things progress, and I think things will probably get worse before they get better, if they ever get better, which they could, if we all work together and believe in ourselves.
0: Oh, so friendship is what you is is the uh, is what you're talking about.
2: The power of friendship. We are <laughs> Captain Planet.
0: I was trying to remember the name of this political tendency and it's the power of friendship.
2: (laughs) Totally. I think, you know, it's going to become more and more obvious if it isn't already the Mm -hmm. connections between uh, class exploitation and the destruction of the planet.
1: But you were saying that liberals are even part of the struggle in Atlanta right now. So that's that seems very interesting. Seems like they hopefully are on the cusp of getting the bigger picture. I hope Hopefully. so.
2: <laughs> They're welcome to, to do so anytime. And I'm going to be really nice to anyone who comes to me with, um, you know, questions and interests. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not try to earn cool points by owning people at the expense of winning them over
0: um right should we there are quite a few questions yeah let's just start think... questions yeah that seems okay. a good idea okay cool that's we're we're now queuing and uh jamie's gonna a cassie Tastrophe asks what are the best ways for people outside the u.s to support the movement against cop city
2: Ooh, that's a great question well if you are not able to travel here that is understandable um uh, the atlanta solidarity fund is still in operation so you can donate to that. Um, you can plan a solidarity action in your locality, um, and we have seen them all over the country and even all over the world. So that's a pretty cool thing to do because uh, you know, as sort as sort of the new school of the Americas that they are trying to build here, um, you know, what happens in the U.S. Uh, affects the rest of the world because we're so such a hegemonic power. So um, you know, I think it. Definitely concerns the rest of the world, Um, the the chances of revolution in the United States, um, because, you know, uh, if this domino falls, it's going to be a lot easier for people in the periphery to uh, take back the world over there as well as we need to do everywhere. But, um, yeah, solidarity actions, um, you know, communicate. Maybe you've done something similar in your locality and you want to teach us some lessons about that. So there's it's important to build these networks and have people talking all over the world because, you know, this is a global fight. It's a local fight, but it's also a global one.
0: You were mentioning earlier about like the, um, the technologies of police training being used uh, for... The IDF as well. And I was just thinking about the connections between like the most the most violent and militaristic policing and also like just most violent militaries. There's um the one way to look at one one of the connecting factors is like the IWI Israeli Israeli weapons industry. Like models of guns that are literally, you know, it's 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 bolstering the Israeli economy and they're very proud of the fact they're battle tested on Palestinians. Like you can see um Azerbaijani soldiers using these, and it's like you know, it's just um this very out in the open coalition of all the absolute shittiest people, and the American cops are kind of at the center of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, should we? Oh, I'll... wait. Quick note. Quick note is the chances of revolution in the U.S. are a hundred percent because that's the way the planet is going to survive. So remember, comrades. I believe that we will win. Um.
1: That's right. This is from Yoko Mountain Johnny. Uh, he says. With the understanding that this might be mostly too sensitive to talk about here, maybe you can describe the logistics of block cop city efforts. What kinds of resource and human issues are the most challenging for what is really a long term action? I mean, if we're just talking about block cop city, it's meant to be a one day action.
2: Uh, But hopefully it will create the space for more actions to happen after that. I mean, we recently saw, uh, five activists who were involved with the, the faith coalition, um, do a similar kind of action on the construction site. Um, that shut down construction for the day because anytime something happens on the site, um, you know, the cops shut down the roads in and out of there and they all got off with misdemeanors. Um, it was really cool to see that happen and it was cool to see. Other people than ourselves come up with the same thing independently of us who've been involved with this because it just makes me think that we're all converging on uh, a similar answer, which makes me more sure that we're right, that this is the move to do right Mm. now. Like I said, uh, we're focusing on this day for this particular action. um, So I'm not sure how to answer that Mm -hmm. in this context, but we do hope that people... uh, This creates the space for people to do more and more things like that, Mm -hmm. Um, both, you know, materially as well as uh, legally, because it seems like they are pulling back a little bit on this uh, ridiculous political uh, method of overcharging people for like things as simple as flyering, you know, like even mainstream legal scholars are saying that this is ridiculous so um yeah there's that but i think there's going to be a lot of logistical support for people coming down that weekend certainly um we're going to have resources we're going to have places for people to stay and uh there's a logistics working group that is working on all of this stuff right now so yeah stay tuned
1: cool
0: okay cool well the next question is from astra the dragon and they have asked, uh, I'm curious of your personal perspective uh, and in brackets and what you know of others, too, on how activists manage your kind of on the scene camp out activism and the rest of your lives, including like student life. It seems like something uh, that requires quite a quit from the expected rhythms of life. Do you find this bears relevance? Is support in this way often seasonal or sporadic?
2: Well, it certainly can be. Uh, not everybody has the privilege to just drop everything and go live in the forest indefinitely. Um, it, t- I, I guess it tends to attract either people like me, whose work is very flexible and easy, <laughs> or people like, uh, you know, some like train to hop in, crusty anarchists who don't uh really have a permanent home or address. that said uh this particular thing is planned on veterans day weekend because people have those days off um it should be even easier to attend than a week of action because you don't have to take a whole week off from work and from your life um veterans day it's not a religious holiday i mean maybe it is to some people but uh (laughs) Not to most. No one really has to do much that day. So that's just an extra day to travel. So really the only day that you would have to take off is probably Monday, assuming that you have the weekend off already. So that is one thing that we are thinking about and trying to make it as easy and convenient as possible for people to participate, uh, you know, on top of their lives, their obligations, because I know most people have a lot of those to contend with.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: And like not everybody like it, it's waxed and waned, um I mean the the encampment phases of the movement is over now, you know, new phase just dropped, but uh, like some people like Tortugita moved to the forest in order to defend it, and that was a really amazing and special thing they did, but um, you know, some people just came down for the weeks of action, and that's good too, like whatever you can do is great,
1: awesome, all right, um, I'll ask the next question. This is from Husker Do. But with your wallet, in quotes, is such a tepid commitment and not a substitution for activism or showing up or directly supporting the November mobilization. That being said, my question is, who have been the biggest corporate supporters of Cop City that we can avoid giving money to or start calling out for their support of a fascist center? Yeah, so
2: there's actually been a lot of action around the corporate backers of Cop City. Um, they've been funneling money to this thing through their fake-ass charity called the Atlanta Police Foundation. Um it is creepy to begin with that private corporations are funding something that is supposed to be allegedly like a public good, right? It kind of makes you wonder who the cops are protecting, uh, <laughs> uh, what they exist to do, really. Um, And it's like all the evilest corporations that you can think of, Bank of America, Norfolk Southern, you know, the company that did the airborne toxic event because they didn't want to pay to properly staff their freight trains. Nice. Um, Yeah. But it's uh it's easy to look up who these people are. We have a slide in our slideshow presentation about them and there have been a number of direct actions where people interrupt corporate board meetings and um a few have actually pulled out, a few backers have actually pulled out and caused a budget shortfall for the Atlanta Police Foundation because they just don't want to deal with it. You know, it's a huge pain in the ass. They don't want people showing up to their houses and yelling at them, you know, when they could just give up and be like all right fine we'll take the l and move on so um it's a good question and um you know i don't know them all off the top of my head but this is publicly available information for sure
1: and Mm. you know what maybe we'll add a part of the website just about that and maybe even include like these are the ones that have even dropped i don't know it's really inspiring to know that sometimes they do drop out because sometimes it feels like we do so much protesting and yelling that it feels like it Sometimes it feels like it's unheard or just the thing you do, but like to see an actual results mm-hmm. is super emboldening. So nice.
2: and, yeah. and contractors as well, um, because, you know, some contractors don't want to deal with all of this and all of us just for one contract because mm-hmm. they have many, many contracts and there's lots of different things that they could get paid to build yeah, like yeah. why would they want to deal with all of this bullshit um it makes it harder to insure their construction vehicles when people keep you know sabotaging them so mm-hmm. yeah it's uh direct action gets the
0: goods folks
1: mhm mhm awesome uh
0: Cassie Tastrophe asked do you have any advice on overcoming fears or anxieties around getting involved in actions and organizing this is a great question we have this all the time um Big one. Jamie, it's all yours.
2: Odd. I mean, I don't know. Like I said before, uh, I think there is strength in numbers. I think showing up and doing a powerful embodied action with a bunch of like minded people who all love and respect each other and uh, you know, feel the feel the strength, feel the collectivity. That's a really good way to kind of push through it. Um, obviously it's not a perfect solution. Uh, I think the trainings that we're going to do, the two full days of trainings are going to make everybody feel and actually be a lot safer doing this kind of action. Um, and I think, you know, every action is risky, but the risk of inaction is greater. And that is something that I, I, have to think about a lot of the time um because what happens if we don't do anything well uh it's gonna be worse shit's gonna be a lot worse and you know if we do do uh if we do do an action (laughs) at least we can say that we tried you know i don't know if we're gonna be able to save the world i'm not psychic i think it's possible but you know when i'm just living in a fucking field crate on Peter Thiel's blood farm. Someday I at <laughs> least want to be able to say that I tried as hard as I could. So
0: can I can there I recommend I you a YouTube video? It's called "The World Is Not Ending." Um, <laughs> uh, I have two thoughts on this. One was about the was one was more serious, practical advice, which is like getting to know your comrades better makes this easier. Like yeah, if like if you think about it like this, right? If your friend uh you your friend becky you've known her your entire life you grew up together and she's like hey i'm gonna get involved in this thing and here are the things you can do you'd be like cool whatever i'm just helping out becky right so it's like the better you know your comrades mm. the the literally the less of a big deal any of the actual work is gonna feel like because it just feels like you're helping out your friends yeah um,
2: that's a good and that's point my, like
0: that's my more practical advice
2: yeah you gotta trust each other
0: my more abstract advice is from the Talmud and it's do not let the grief of the world overwhelm you. You are not obligated to finish the work, nor are you free to abandon it.
2: That's a good one. I love that. Going (laughs) to use that one. Going to keep that in my, in my back pocket for later. (laughs) But yeah, that is such a good point. You got to do this. You got to practice organizing with people and get to know and trust each other. And that way, you know, you know, they're not going to abandon you if
1: things get a little spicy. Yeah. This is from Apple Chips, the video game. Um, how can the labor organizing movement contribute to the land back movement and vice versa? I mean, we've kind of been talking about it today, uh, or actually, labor organizing more specifically, then. Because this is cause yeah. what you're talking about, the, the Stop Cop City, is not exactly labor organizing, although it is labor organizing. I mean, there's definitely
2: openings to. Um, build coalitions with organized labor, Um, you know, organized labor is not always progressive. Mm -hmm. There's conservative wings of it, certainly. Um, But, you know, there's also progressive wings. And uh, I could see a scenario where workers, organized workers recognize that one purpose of the cops is to keep them from uh getting everything that they deserve so maybe they don't want to build this particular project maybe they don't want to build this particular thing
0: i mean i feel a bit like we talked to on the show a few weeks ago about the, the the half-earth socialism game and like you unlock the different cards for what stuff you can do i feel a little bit like the the overlap of land back and labor organizing is kind of a late later game card so to speak like it's um it's going to be very clear how these things are going to help each other but like once the ball's gotten rolling a bit more if you know what i mean like when when there is more of both going on and more serious like action uh that's more widespread across the country like uh the the workers feeding into a program to 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 control the land and people who want the land back feeding into the power of the workers Again, will will seem almost obvious when the time is more kind of appropriate for it is is my thought, but I don't know if you agree, Jimmy.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'll admit I'm not an expert on the land back movement, uh, except in so far as you know, all communists want to get the land back. <laughs> so I definitely need to like learn more and study more. I'm I'm interested in it for sure, for sure.
0: Uh, my partner, Nats in the chat, and she's just pointed out that with the... Because she came came with me on the trip that we did to the ZAD to do the documentary. She just pointed out that the the ZAD, um, they had, like, the organized construction workers who were going to build the airport, which is what they were fighting against, like, gave up and, and, and like, oh, refused wow. to work on it, right? And that's... I mean, that's one way, I suppose, that, like, industrial action can um, support that. It reminds me of the... When we had the people from Just Up Oil on, and they were talking about... Um, protesting alongside striking oil workers and the oil workers were like why are you helping us we're like we're 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 the oil workers and they were like well because we have the same struggle actually hell yeah Kira, do you want to read the last one
1: yeah sure this is from uh cassie again um Thank you, Cassie, for the questions. These are great questions. Uh, could you explain what you mean by a solidarity action? The only thing that comes to mind at the moment would be protesting outside the U.S. Embassy, but I'm guessing you might have something else in mind. By the way, I should say that um, Cassie's from England, lives in England. Oh, so. I mean, there have been marches all over the place, solidarity marches. Um, there, A lot
2: of the companies... That are invested in Cop City have offices outside of the US. Um, there are lots of creative ways you can do a solidarity action. Um, people from it, politicians from Atlanta, they go visit other places. Um, I know governor Brian Kemp from Georgia was recently in New York City, uh, getting some like fucking award or something, probably from our cop mayor, Eric Adams, uh, and people protested at that. So, uh, yeah, I got to keep an eye on where these ghouls are going (laughs) and, uh, show up wherever they are. (laughs) Awesome.
1: All right. I guess should we move to homework then perhaps?
0: Yeah, um, absolutely. So we, uh, we have a a chat here who are, and, and listeners too, hopefully who are, um, have a bunch of SWATs and they love they love getting homework. They love having extra stuff to do after the show is done. So Jamie, what's uh what what is your idea for homework that our chat could do?
2: Well, I think a nice homework assignment for everyone who lives in the United States would be to go to blockcopcity.org slash tour and find an event near you. And then you can learn even more about what's going on you can learn even more about the action that you know. I haven't given that many details of yet, but um, we do give some details in the tour, um, and you can meet like-minded people in your area. So even if you can't, for whatever reason, go to Atlanta, um, you can plug into some organizing networks and hopefully organize around some local issues. Um, but we really hope that everybody does make it to Atlanta if they possibly can because this is a really important choke fight Uh, choke fight choke, choke. I'm tired, choke point in the fight against all of the bad stuff that we've been talking about so yeah check it out, check out the tour and uh, donate to the Atlanta Solidarity Fund if you have any extra money.
1: There are hot like-minded people in your area check it out. (laughs) It's true sexy
0: comrades, (laughs) nay you (laughs) <laughs> jamie it's been a pleasure to have you on uh is there anything else you'd like to promote anything you'd like to plug before you go
2: you know there actually is um whoa <laughs> yeah in addition to all this other shit i've been doing i just did a, a comedy show called the woke mob no you know about, really you know about the woke mob yeah Oh my God. It's me and Jake Flores, my buddy, who's a very funny guy, comedian, podcaster. Um, we've been wanting to do something together for a while, sort of utilizing our shared brand of goth communism, I guess. Um, and this was it. We, um, who knows what it's going to turn into, but, uh, we just made a YouTube page. We put up a sketch that we filmed on that YouTube page. And it's called This Old Punk House. You know, it's like this old <laughs> house, but we filmed it at Jake's shitty apartment um, that he's about to move out of. Uh, we did a live show at TVI in Ridgewood, New York, and we filmed that as well using my porn money. And uh, that's going to be on the YouTube page real soon. So anyone who wants to watch it can watch it. And then uh, hopefully we will use these videos to find sponsors or I mean, not looking for corporate sponsors, but someone who wants to give us money to make more of them. That would be great. Maybe it'll be uh, means t v Maybe it'll be someone else. I don't know, because I can't, like, bankroll all of them with my porn money. But, uh, yeah, watch it. Check it out. We're figuring out what the next phase of the woke mob is going to be, because Jake is moving to Los Angeles, which, um, you know got mixed feelings about that i'm very happy for him that he found love very with a very special lady but um you know i'm sad that he's leaving because he's my buddy and we are doing a show together but i feel like we can figure it out and the more you know people like it (laughs) that'll probably help us get more made so check out the woke mob
1: that's awesome with me and jake that's awesome okay do you have any uh closing thoughts cop city will never be built
0: hell yes hell
1: yeah communism
2: will win yes yes it will <laughs> thanks for having me this thanks, is super Jamie. fun it was great to talk to you again oh you too anytime and i can't
1: wait to see you in atlanta veterans day weekend yeah definitely yeah Listeners, um, you are also welcome to come out to Atlanta with Jamie and I to, um, occupy the, the construction site for, uh, for what is trying, what's trying to be Cop City. You can be part of our struggle against, um, that happening. So definitely check out the the website blogcopcity.org and join us, like for real, join us. It's going to be awesome. Hell yeah.
2: Well, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you, gals. This is fun. I'll talk yeah. to you real soon. <laughs> See ya.
0: Bye. If you wanna uh, help uh, pay for Kira to go there, I don't know. Would that would that, does that make sense? Well, a hundred percent makes
1: would. sense. Do you want okay. do if you want me to go out there and help <laughs> me pay for for me to go out there? Um, yeah, and become and a you patron also go film some stuff. And you know what? If enough of you are patrons, then maybe I don't know. Maybe you can get Sophie out there.
0: So, Sophie That's true. Me I do and it. Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, chat, it's real. It's real. If We're you want to you want to fly me all the way across the Atlantic? I'll I'll join them. Um
1: I want one-day delivery on Sophie.
0: <laughs> Aww.
1: Aww. Aww. <laughs> wanted, I want I want Sophie at my doorstep, okay?
0: <laughs> well, I'll be uh, in Atlanta, well, but you're close enough. Yeah, like m- both of us at Jamie's doorstep. Yeah, like, Jamie's well, doorstep. Both of, both of us at the the Cop City construction office managers doorstep it makes sense with with, with um this analogy
1: chains. makes sense yes
0: um <laughs> <and> <laughs> the way that people the way that people can help to fund that uh is com slash red underscore planet which is a patreon that we have that makes it's what makes the show possible i'm doing really well with my words today babe mm, you're doing um, great
1: and you're very very cute by the way
0: i'm doing a lot of sporty femme looks recently it's adorable I'm, I'm, i love it i'm in my i'm in my athleisure era i love it it. Just, it often you know is showing off my body shape which is uh no you look great the you whole look game. amazing um patreon.com <laughs> slash red underscore planet is how the show gets made uh we have various tiers there to support the show at kira why don't you tell me about the first tier
1: Sure. First tier is Sprite Mode for $2 a month. Get started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a Sprite. Benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you are helping the Red Planet team, early access to VODs, and access to the Red Planet Discord, supporting us, and... You will also get access to our new podcast that's going to be released soon, which I've that's already recorded point. an episode with Sophie and mm-hmm, Conrad mm-hmm. about the Democrats and the cons- uh, conspiracies about the Democrats. Highly, highly, yep. highly recommend.
0: It's called Limited Hangouts, and it's all about conspiracy theories. And I tell, well, Conrad mostly, but sometimes Kara, I guess, uh, about the how how something is, and then why people believe conspiracy theories, and then what those conspiracy theories are. And I knew the format was going well when in the first episode, Conrad was hearing conspiracy theories about Bill Gates, and he was like, "I hate that this makes sense. No, I don't <laughs> want this to make sense." Um, and I think something happens that, that was like that in the second episode, right, Carrie? You like you just started explaining. You basically started explaining the premise of the show back to us, and we were just like, "Yeah, babe, that's the pre- that's the show. Yeah, you're getting it." <laughs>
1: Yeah, basically how, like, all this shit, like, even though it's not true, the reality that we live in insists that something like this should be true, I guess. Because, like, yeah, you just have to watch, just listen to the podcast, okay? Just do it. Okay,
0: Um, so all of that and more is available at the next tier, which is called Goblin Mode Uh, for £8.50 a month or $10 a month. Uh, Everyone loves a goblin. We all get a little goblin mode from time to time. Complete your gobology by going goblin mode with everything we just talked about. But also, a pack of cool Red Planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only in places like that. Access to exclusive Red Planet Discord hangouts. So the previous tier gets you into the Discord, but at this tier onwards, you can be in the hangouts where we like watch a movie or whatever. Uh, but what if people wanted to be more than a goblin? What if people mm. wanted to evolve to Ooh. a higher tier of yes. support?
1: Well, then you're gonna want to go beast mode
0: whoa, yeah,
1: for twenty dollars a month or
0: $18. or seventeen pounds mm. a month.
1: I like how the the u s dollar's getting less like getting getting weaker, like almost every <laughs> show. <laughs> Or something's going on. Um Holy shit. Are you actually going to go beast mode? Well, then we can offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers And pin badges. Yep, pin badges. Wear your excellent new Red Planet pin badge literally everywhere. It is completely cool and good to do. But, Sophie... Yes, Kara. Let's say that I'm not content being a sprite. I'm not. I'm. I can't even going goblin mode or even beast mode is not enough for me. Mm-hmm. What if I mm-hmm. really want to go hard?
0: If you have just an insatiable desire, uh, then I would say you know you should start to question the ways that capitalism has prefigured your desires to think that consumerism is going to fill that hole for you, and maybe there's something else missing um, uh, in your life that you you're not getting, and maybe it's but. But I mean, in this scenario, are you someone with loads of money and you just want to support communist media? In that case, I don't think you should question any of that stuff. Actually, you should go sicko mode, which is $100 a month or it's £85 a month. Uh, And if we support you this much, if you support us this much, I mean, we support you by giving you the content that you crave. But if you support us this much, we can only reasonably offer you everything from the lower tiers and a very special thank you message at the end of every stream, which looks like this. Thank you, JBP, Narrow on Starfire, and Queen Pib. You are sickos.
1: Yay!
0: That's that's the Patreon. I think we mentioned before that there's much. Uh, we have one design at the moment. We're working on more designs. The one we have at the moment is the uh, Queer Existence is Resistance design. There is also a tote bag you can get if you want. And like I said, there will be more uh, more available when we are done working on it. The- <laughs> Um uh that's available at mercenarycreative.com. But if I wanted instead of if I was done supporting the show and I'd successfully subscribed at the highest tier and bought merch, not just for myself, but for everyone I know, how would I find more Kira on the internet?
1: That's a great question, Sophie. Um uh, well everything every website that I'm on, I'm on there uh on Kira chat, so Twitter, it's twitter.com slash k- uh, Kira Chats. Twitch, twitch.tv slash Kira Chats. Blue Sky is a Kira Chats dot Blue Sky. No, Kira Chats dot B-S-K-Y dot social. Um, all my scandalous not-safe-for-work socials, which I can't specifically mention, um, but you can find them in my link tree are under my name, Kira Chats. So you can find all those in my link tree, linktra.ee slash Kira chats, and I will be live tomorrow on Twitch. Um, two things, two places i You can find me tomorrow. You can find me on my twitch.tv slash Kira chats twitch channel. We'll be playing more Baldur's Gate 3. But then later on that evening, I'll be on fa- the Fable Scraps channel. So this is an RP channel. Um, it's twitch.tv slash Fable Scraps, and I'll be debuting a new character, Tiffany Tuck. She's a blonde, bimbo, good natured. Rich girl that's solving kind of Scooby-Doo type mysteries with other people, including Nicotine and Lucid Fox. Uh, so if you want to catch us or catch me and and the rest of us uh, tomorrow evening for that big debut, we're going to have our very first show. Uh, it's twitch.tv slash fablescrap. So that's tomorrow evening. So, Sophie, where can I find you? I want more Sophie in my life. How can I get that?
0: I know you do. Only by Patreon, uh, dot com slash red underscore planet, you know, so that people fund for me to fly all the way to you. But if you want more of me online, uh, I'm a YouTuber and I make video essays, um, sometimes about politics and philosophy and theory. Uh, I also have a media series called Monster Man, which is about monster stories, what they mean, why we tell them and where they come from. And I'm doing I'm working on one of those right now in time for Halloween. Uh, that's all available at YouTube uh, under the name Sophie from Mars. I mean, I'm Sophie from Mars on everything. You go to linktree.ee slash Sophie from Mars, you'll get all of my links. But the two best things you could do on there are send me money directly because I'm a permanently broke bitch. Uh, Always appreciated. Or you could go to Patreon through there, which is also Sophie from Mars, and uh, subscribe to support me every month. Uh, Our Other two hosts who are not here at the moment are DJ Mule, whose Linktree is linktree.ee slash DJ Mule, and Conquest of Dread, whose Linktree is linktree.ee slash Conquest of Dread. Okay, there we go. I said all of the bits that we needed to say.
1: Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week for more Red Planet. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. You can find where to watch us live every Sunday at redplanetshow.com. Follow the show on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.